This is Andrew McLean, creator of Headlopper and Apocalyptic Girl. You are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. So you have an audience. So you did it in one. See, but I felt that I, I thought I felt the bounce back. So if, no, I mean, not on my end. Okay, great. That's that, that's uh, as I've been saying since jump. That's all that matters. Whatever I hear. But there are times where I think it's okay but because you tell me something that we do, which is great. I, what you hear is probably what everybody else is going to hear. So I'm fine with what you say to do. But um, I was I was expecting you to say too close or no, no we're good yeah, we're good uh, perfect you, yeah it. i like to think that i have good good ears really good ears uh what with being i've been working with audio for a long time and um uh, i'm a half-assed um musician one day one time i took this course i think it was called golden ear it this is going back maybe 20 years it was issued on a number of cds and i going in i thought okay i i got I got the ear, man. I could do this. Man, did it humble me. There were there were things that I did not even pick up. Constantly. Wow. Not just once or twice. Like in every example, they'd say, listen for, you know, blah, blah. And I would not I would not hear it. And I'd be like, so. It, it made me think. I, I went into it thinking, you know, massive hang down. And coming out of it, like, real small. Real small. Wow. Have yeah. you ever listened to that YouTube video that is like... You start listening to it, and it tells you it plays different frequencies, and it, and, it, and it's like if you are ages six to nine, you, yeah, you can hear this, yeah, and it yeah. keeps going up, and then it gets like you know, at some point you drop off and you can't hear it anymore. Yeah, well, I was in my thirties when I I did it, so I should have been able to to hear everything. I I I apparently have bad hearing because I bowed out way too early. Wow. <laughs> All this punk shows. I mean, I I value my ears. I remember laughing at kids in school. You know, raise your hand if you hear it on the right side. Raise your head if you hear it on the left side. Kid would just sit there with his hands. I'd be like, you suck. But yeah, so I'm evil and nasty. Uh, but I liked. I I thought I had good good ears. But I guess uh, thanks to the golden ear, I, it reminded me that maybe I don't. And uh, we'd like to remind you because you're listening to Eleven O'clock Comics, episode seven hundred nine. The Thanksgiving Damn. episode, yeah. Gobble, gobble. Mm. And I'm Vince B. <laughs> I made him chuckle. I am David A. Price. Yes. And we're not alone. We're not alone. Hell, The boy is still AWOL. Yep. Um, it's Thanksgiving. It is, uh, you know, it's family holiday. I know. So what with it being the holiday season and the, the best thing to do during the holidays is spend time with family, we rope two. Of said right. family members, uh, we corralled them. We said, "Hey, you're doing this with us." And uh, Vinny who, do, Beats. who do we <laughs> who do we have? <laughs> and Marty, we have uh, we we have two two very very special near and dear friends of ours. Uh, it's almost like a C two E two. We have two people who who are not going against CDC guidelines. They are very wonderful people. They are none other. Then someone you've probably heard about this month during the promo, Mr. Zach Crusay. Hello. <laughs> and all the way from, from 
Kill me. Uh, all, all the way from West Virginia. Mario Luscar. Yep. Coronavirus. <laughs> the world's number one Eagles fan. Mario oh. Luscar. What? Yes, takes what? it to the limit, lives life in the fast oh, lane. I thought you were talking about the Philadelphia Eagles. No, I don't I know like, sports. That's Jason. Oh, so did I, yes. No, no. And and how about Zach? Um makes a, a very scholarly, well researched, uh in depth assessment on Steve Ditko and his methodology. And what does he do? Hiya. Like <laughs> there you go. Um Lower expectations. Right, guys. He wants yeah. you to know exactly what you're going to get in the book. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, what are you going to get in the book? I'll tell you because What's it's what? one of our specials. Oh. If you go to Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can get your books, get them fast, and delivered right to your door, the list of specials are evaporating. This is the last time you're going to, probably, yes, this is the last time you're going to hear them. So pay attention, get a little writing implement, and take notes. Uh, because from Ahoy Comics, it's the wrong earth, night and day, number one. It is a miniseries featuring the original creative team that instigated this whole wrong earth stuff. It's Tom Payer, Jamal Eigel, Juan Castro. Cover price on this bad boy is three ninety nine. You are only going to pay $2.19. And the delicious meat between the two fairly good slices of bread, comes from the University Press of Mississippi, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. It's the Mysterious Travelers, Steve Ditko and the Search for a New Liberal Identity, written by the man in our presence right now, Zach Crusay. That's me. That's you. You did a you did a wonderful job on this, and we're, if you had any question as to what mystic liberalism is, well, you need to read this book, especially if you're a Steve Ditko fan. You need to read this book because uh, in-depth, Zach has been living and breathing Ditko for, Jesus, as long as I know him. Um, I expect great things, and you better deliver. Like we said, it's the University Press of Mississippi, price $30. No way, Jose, you're getting it for 21 bucks, and it comes with an exclusive and free signed book plate. Yeah, whatever. I don't have a signed book plate by Mr. Cruz. Nor do I. Right? So I don't either. Now, one time Zach did sign my arm, and we went and got it tattooed, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would do that. Remember that, Zach? Duh. Do I? I would do that. I would do that if it was Zach. You've done it anyway, bro. True, but that was Joe Kubert. I mean, thank you. And then Pretty I much ki- the same thing. Yeah, and yeah. then I killed him. Uh, and last, but certainly <laughs> <Okay>. not least, <laughs> well, no, my that took a turn. Nina claims when I came home from the convention, I said, "Look, I got Joe Kubert's autograph on my arm." And then I told her a couple months later that he had unfortunately passed, and she said, "You killed him." She's right. Yeah. So she knows how evil I am. She's um, absolutely right. I know. Um, last, but certainly not least. Brandon Graham, Rain Like Hammers, number one of five from Image, extra-sized five-issue miniseries, uh, $4.99 cover price. You know how Brandon Graham rolls. A lot more pages, bigger size, Two forty-nine, and it's yours. Don't even hesitate. 
All these things must be on your order form or you can't come back next episode. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order editions and you get your books shipped directly to your wonderful home by a naked driver of UPS and or FedEx. What? They're naked when they bring it to the door. I like to think they are. DCBService.com. Excellent work. Thank you. I love nudity. Who doesn't? I may get more progressively nude as this episode goes. Like I said, may. I can't get any more nude from this point on. Oh, boy. I'd have to be flayed. (laughs) Jeez. Uh, hey, sweetbreads. Jason instigated uh, a return to the drink roll call. Yeah, like they have. You been... sound so you oh, sound God. so happy about it. Well, I mean, so yeah, it's we got to do it because the boy likes it. So, um, mm. yeah, but he's not here. I know, but he'll know if we don't do it. He'll listen for the he first five right ten minutes. He'll he knows know. right now. Right, he'll know. Yeah, so I am drinking a Cabernet Sauvignon from Dark Horse. Nice. Yes, it's a little on the salty side. Ooh. Yeah, probably because it's made with... No, it's made with Mike Richardson's tears after the loss of the Star Wars aliens and Conan licenses. Yeah. After more harassment allegations, but... um, that's how could you not, control not towards that? Him, not towards him, right? I'm just you know, well, when you uh, dark horse isn't bad. I've 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 enjoyed their red blend, uh, and and the cab is 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 pretty tasty. I'm, but good, good choice, good choice. Yeah. What yeah. are our guests drinking, Zach? Uh, I'm fucking living it up with this diet Coca Cola Classic. Tomorrow's <laughs> <laughs> a big day. You got to pace yourself. I get it. Yeah, that's good. There's nothing wrong with a Diet Coke. Well, yeah, delicious. I love Diet Coke. It's yeah. delicious. It tastes so fake. It does. It's turning my insides into a thin gruel. At the you know, at the risk of sounding like Jason uh-uh. and getting on the old self-help horse, I have not had a diet drink in four months, that's and, awesome. I, and I feel better. Yeah, you do. Yep. I'm sure. I I wasn't feeling bad before, but right. there are there are certain things that I don't know, they work much better now it seems. Mm. Yeah. The boys are happy. That's good. Oh, my boys are always happy. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You sounded like a muppet when you said that. I am a muppet. That's what I am. <laughs> I am the biggest muppet. What's the biggest muppet drink? I am drinking. I'm drinking an old fashioned. Nice. Um, I'm having. I will call it a Thanksgiving old fashioned because it's made from wild turkey. Right, Aww. that works. So, and I, I got a beer on deck in case that goes away. Uh, It'll probably go away. I got a zombie dust on be- on deck from yeah. Three yeah. Floyds in Chicago. Uh, this How about is, you? No, that's everybody. Everybody drank everything. No, it's not everybody. <laughs> he was close, though. He, he started, and he was like, yeah, I don't know. Let me stop. Um, what I'm drinking, Vince, is usually on the shelf near 
the Dark Horse stuff. Uh, this is from Bogle Vineyards. It's Essential Red from 2017 in California. And uh, I poured the last of it in the glass as we were connecting to everyone. So that will be it for this bottle. Sweet. Excellent. Good deal. That's hear. good. I like the Bogle. I think the Bogle... When I see when I hear or see Bogle, I always think like that was the first wine that I drank as a younger person that I thought, well, this tastes better than just Martini and Rossi or whatever that shit was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Carlo and Julio Rossi, yes. Yeah. Oh, the Carlo Rossi is a staple in my family. The yeah, bigger yeah, the fucking jug, yeah. the better. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's like that scene at the beginning of the Godfather where I- He's like, more wine, more wine, and they bring that giant jug over. Yep. It's it's the Carlo Rossi and those little almond cookies in the boxes. Oh. I, f- I forget the name of them, but you know the one I'm talking about? like with the. I know which one you're talking about. You're taking me back to my grandpa's basement right yeah, now. Yeah, the nougat oh. with the phyllo dough on it or whatever. I think it's phyllo dough. But, it's something uh, like that. Yeah. Um, and they wrap them in, in um, foil, and they put it in a little box to make it all fancy, and it has a gondola on the front of it. Um you guys are Marvel uh, X-Men fans, right? To certain degrees? Sometimes. Well, Do you have a preferred era? Uh, no. I mean, I, I don't like the Claremont stuff. I, I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're good at it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Well, <sighs> let's put Mario in the corner. Because right, everybody else, everybody else who has some common sense. Yeah, if you're an X Men fan, especially uh, a Claremont fan, because arguably the best of the best X Men stories came from this man, um, such as Days of Future Past, the Dark Phoenix Saga. I mean, these are legendary stories that everyone who is even a cursory fan of the X Men has read in the past, uh, but. Marvel is getting really, they're sticking their little pinky finger out because they are producing uh, a a series of books of which I'm going to tell you about the first one. It's called the Marvel Made Paragon Collection. It's an upscale product that's exclusive to this Marvel Made platform. And what it does is it takes the cream of Marvel history and reprints it in exclusive limited edition hardcover slipcased volumes it's nuts and the first book like i said is is the work of the man himself mr chris claremont if you i think it's now through december 4th you can get this this marvel made paragon collection chris claremont premier bundle it's a long title but it is a claremont product right um it's available for pre-order, but they have to get 1,200 orders minimum to put this thing to press. Why? Because it's super expensive to produce. It, it is a hardcover, faux leather, so no animals were harmed in the making of this book. It's a faux leather hardcover book, hand-numbered, signed by Claremont, and he's going to put a quote, an iconic quote, from one of the X-Men um, books in there. Um, you get a behind-the-scenes forward from Louise Simonson that starts it all off, Wheezy, our, our woman, and they're limited. You're only going to have one chance to do this. You can't deliberate. You can't waffle. you, you got to either order it or not because it's not going to stick around, and it's going to be very, very hard to get. 
after the fact, you're not going to get it for the price you, you're going to pay now. After the fact, you're going to probably pay two to three, maybe more times for this thing. If you decide, man, I should have ordered that X-Men thing. I didn't do it. Let me check eBay. There's probably going to be a bunch of losers turning this thing around on eBay for far more than you're going to get it for now. Let's just be honest. That's the way things work, right? You're right. No, it's un- it's yeah. sad. So tell me how much this tell me how much this thing costs. But wait, before I tell you how much it is, I got to tell you what's in it. You get in the hardcover numbered signed book with the little quote, you get the Dark Phoenix Saga, not just a book, you get the Dark Phoenix Saga. You get Days of Future Past. You get arguably the best X-Men related title ever produced, Wolverine, the limited series with art by Mr. Frank Miller. You get Uncanny X-Men 268, you know, the cover, Captain America, Black Widow, Wolverine, Jim Lee. We've seen it a bazillion times. Um, But it's iconic and it's legendary. I agree. You get X-Men number one, the world's best-selling comic of all time. Um, And there's lithographs and stuff included. You get a Wolverine uh, limited series homage lithograph by Casada. You get a Dark Phoenix litho by Phil Noto. Inferno by Philip Tan. Did you feel my pants get tighter when I said that? Because it happened. Um, Salvador La Roca does a uh, collage litho. You got a Storm Callisto battle homage image by Marcos Martin. And I guess you could say that this is the cream of the crop in, in, in the lithography department. It's an Asgardian Wars litho by Art Adams. It's like, shut up. (laughs) Really? Uh, There's an exclusive Wolverine number six, Days of Future Past themed variant comic book with a cover by Olivier Coipel and an X-Men number 13, Dark Phoenix action figure variant comic book by John Tyler Christopher. It's nuts. And you're thinking, all right, well, you should float me the price of this thing. But there's new stuff. In addition to all that stuff, there's a 20-page prequel comic for Days of Future Past, written, of course, by Claremont and drawn by Salvador La Roca. Now, how What's much would you the pay? Price, Vincenzo. How Tell much me. would you? How much would you pay? Um, Don't be googling it. Six hundred dollars. Mm, no, you don't have to pay that much. If you want to pay six hundred dollars, you can get three of them. Because they're one hundred and ninety nine dollars plus tax. Why? Limit two per transaction. How he can sign in as his wife or something? Okay, let's send it to grandma's house. Had to bend the rules. Well, I'll like they didn't know. It's, people are smart. <sighs> if you had any question as to who was flipping them, <laughs> right? But no, I don't do such disturbing things. Um, it, it's one hundred ninety nine dollars for a, right. a, a thick ass hardcover book. In a slipcase, signed and numbered, beautiful presentation. You know what, Vince? Huh? You keep talking about it, and and I know people can can picture it in their heads, but I'm going to do something better because you're going to show them. Yes, exactly. I'm not going to show them because they're listening to this on a podcast. I'm going to tell them where they can go look at it, and then go ahead and click that order because we are getting closer to them hitting that minimum. But if you go right now to get Marvel made, G E T M A R V E L M A D E dot com slash 
EOC, you will be able to see these beautiful images of the exterior and interior of the product. It, it, it looks fantastic. I was blown away last episode, well, two episodes ago, when I asked Jason, I said, hey, have you ever heard of this Marvel-made thing? And then Jason's like, yeah. And then we had a URL with our name on it. Like, how did that even happen? I, I, I'm gobsmacked. We, yeah. Listen, you take care of the audio and do the fancy stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of uh, the, the, the webmaster stuff. All right. So there you go. Please, I'm not shitting you. This is a beautiful looking product. It is a product. The, the reproduction top notch, the best of the best of the X-Men in a upscale, limited edition, hardcover slipcase. Just get the damn thing. You will be kicking yourself if you don't. Yeah, there's. If you look at the, if you check out the Slack, there have been a few people when 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 Jason was talking about it there, giving off that awesome URL. Because yeah, the book is cool and all of it, but I mean, the best of the best is is this getmarvelmade.com slash eoc url. But the the number of people on the Slack who have pre ordered it, um, I'm I'm blown away. Yeah, I'm. It's and you have until the end of next week so so yeah it is it's it's by december 4th get that order in i'm i i'm really every day i walk by i'm like today's the day and then i back off at the last second but but yeah this 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 will be gotten before the fourth is up yeah there you go so enough with that stuff let's talk about some comics you got comics of course i do but i'm not rude we have two guests (laughs) Be rude. Be rude. Then. I don't want to be rude. I don't like to go first. Just turn over and leave now. Because we have guests, and I would much prefer to hear what our guests are That's reading wow. and or have written. Oh, oh. Mario, what have you written? Uh, some some things, mostly a pitch to Walmart today. But uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> it's too early. Is it too early to? Uh, are you doing the holiday themed website this year? No, not doing oh, it this year. Oh, okay. Not doing it. Never but thanks. Running. Thanks for making me feel that way. Carry on. <laughs> it would have been perfect. I figured everybody would have had something to, to promote tonight, but whatever. I want to hear about, about what Zach has been reading. Mostly because I was texting him earlier, and he told me what he was reading, and I want to hear about it. Right. <laughs> I can tell you about what, I was re- what I've been reading. I can tell you about what I wrote later. We can do that for the In Your Travels. I'll Ooh. keep it short sweet and then that will allow me to use the time effectively uh it's like so, he's tony fleece yeah he, he comes on doesn't want to promote what he does and well, then just drops the bomb at the end i respect that i respect you know that. you know i when i come on to talk to you guys i'm here to just hang out like good i don't gotta i don't gotta like hawk stuff all the time people know who i am True. they know what i do you guys are so sweet and kind to me with the promo stuff we can talk about that at the end. I, all right. I, I talk till I'm blue in the fucking face about that stuff all the time. Um, but the one thing I've been reading um, is something that just came in my November box. Um, so I think, well, you guys might know this. Uh, so I really love pre-code stuff. Um, and I especially, you know, I, everybody likes pre-code horror. If you don't like pre, pre-code horror, I'm not sure what's going on in your day-to-day life. Seriously. Uh, but 
uh, you know, from any number of perspectives. But uh, I also really love Precode Crime. So, uh, and one of the things I had heard about, uh, but I'd never read uh, and never had a chance to really, I don't know, explore, which I know it's available. Like, you can download it for free because it's public domain stuff. Uh, but I got this Johnny Dynamite collection uh, from IDW and uh, Yo Books. So Johnny Dynamite was a short-lived uh, series uh, in the in the ni- in the nineteen fifties, around I don't know, early fifties, like fifty four ish. I want to say, don't quote me on that year; it's in here somewhere. But it, Johnny Dynamite is a hard-boiled detective, uh, very much in the <clears throat> in the in the Mickey Spillane vein of things, and in fact, um, is more or less just a, a Spillane style knockoff. Um, the art in this is by the art in a lot of the writing is by Pete Morisi, as well as uh, occasional scripts or freq- relatively frequent scripts by a Ken Fitch. Um, I don't know Fitch's work very well, but Morisi has been around. Um, if you've never seen Pete Morisi's work, it's got a very George Tusca feel to it. Mm. And as I learned in the introduction, written by Max Max Allen Collins, uh, part, part of the reason that it has such a Tusca-esque look to it is because early in his career, Maurice was told by an editor to try to ape Tusca. Um, so that explains it. Um, but anyway, this is this is a really fun set of issues. There's uh, nine issues in here, multiple stories. You know, they're short vignettes. You know, four, five, six, seven pages each. And each one is a different case for Johnny Dynamite, who is the madman of Chicago. And uh, they are violent as hell, like really incredibly violent. I mean, to to a point where, I mean, they, they rival a Spillane-type novel. And uh, so Johnny Dynamite is a tough-as-nails uh, private detective who's always getting wrapped up with some, you know, with some dame or some sort of underworld, you know, shenanigans or whatever the case may be. And each story ends up with him plugging somebody, if not one person, like multiple people in every five page story. He's just, he's just shooting any, anyone and everyone in sight. Um, and the, you know, the art in here, I think is really good. But one of the things that jumped out to me right away in reading this is that the, uh, the writing in this is like, I think really good, particularly for like a golden age comic, which is not to say there aren't golden age comics that are well-written. There are a lot of golden age comics that I think are well-written, but like this just has a very sort of modern natural feel to like the dialogue and to uh, sort of the, the, the work, uh, the, you know, the, the text balloons and that sort of thing, uh, the, the narrative boxes. It, that just feels I don't know, just very natural and very normal. And it feels like a pulp novel. I mean, I think that's part of the that's part of the charm and the appeal of it because it's trying to copy uh, Mickey Spillane book so much that like that sort of seeps its way into um, the way that the the word balloons are sort of constructed and, 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 and filled in and all these different ways. So it's a lot. It's a ton of fun. And was pretty inexpensive, I think. A lot of these Yoke books are. It was 30 bucks. Um, it's a nice hardcover with spot varnish. I mean, you know, these, these Yoke things, I, I really like the production values on, on all of these. Um, and in one of the first stories, uh, or one of the early stories, uh, Johnny Dynamite loses an eye. Which is another thing that jumped out to me. Like, um, I mean, I know that this kind of storytelling is not new for you know, for comics or this period or these types of characters, but 
and it's not like a character development thing, but in the middle of the in the middle of the run, Johnny Dynamite loses an eye uh, for you know for reasons that don't really seem necessary. He just loses an eye. It seems as though like Maurice and Fitch just wanted just to take away his eye. It's like oh they, shit, my eye fell out. Yeah, well, they, they, I feel like the the eye patch thing like would just toughen toughen him up a little bit. So they needed to find a way for him to lose an eye. So he gets his eye shot out. Nice. Uh, He's sitting in his car, minding his own business, and a lady walks up to him and just blammo, just right in the face, just shoots him directly in the eye. She is such a crack shot that she can take out his eye and do no additional damage. Um, and then Johnny uh, Johnny Dynamite gets a really cool eye patch and then ends up murdering this lady later. But when he kills her, um, <laughs> when he kills her, he shows up at her place, and it, it turns out that the reason that she shot out his eye is that uh Johnny Dynamite put her old man away and uh he was, you know, killed. Um I, I want to try to remember the story right. Uh he he either gets killed because he went to the electric chair or Johnny Dynamite shot him. I can't quite remember. But anyway, she blames him for for her boyfriend or husband's death. And uh he shows up to her apartment and confronts her and she says, "Hey, the reason I shot you it's because you took a, my husband or, uh, you know, my husband away from me. And, you know, he only got wrapped up in the crime because we have this we have a son and our son is um, our son is disabled. And everything that he did, every crime he committed, all of that money was poured into paying doctor bills for for our son. And Johnny Dynamite's like, oh, man, that's that's a real bummer. And then, of course, as soon as he sort of lets his guard down two sort of meatheads come bumbling out of the, the boy's bedroom and Johnny Dynamite trip first trips and then shoots both of them in the gut and, and leaves them to die and then shoots her uh, and kills her because he's because he feels like he's been made a, a sap and then takes the takes the disabled kid who apparently slept through all of this <laughs> uh, and then just turns over <laughs> turns him over to the state and then End scene, end story. So, it, it was just a, it was a delightful romp. Um, but <laughs> each of the stories, uh, each of the stories are like that in, in this volume. And it was just, it was a ton of fun and just a, a real, just delight to read. Um, and it didn't, like I said, you know, like, it doesn't feel old. It feels very contemporary. It feels very modern. Um, it, and and I think that's because it, it does such a good job of capturing, you know, those pulp sensibilities, um, you know, that they're clearly borrowing from Spillane. And um, and the introduction, which I didn't, which I mostly skimmed through, the introduction does a really nice job of sort of laying out the history uh, of all of this. And because it's a Max Collins intro, then, of course, there's a lot of talk of Spillane and Spillane's history with comics and sort of weaving the two sort of narratives together there. But But anyway... Johnny Dynamite, uh, the Johnny Dynamite collection from uh, IDW and Yo Books. It was just a hoot, and anybody I think that likes film noir, hard boiled fiction, or crime comics, this is something that you need to have. Well, you have given me an amazing segue, but I'm not going to use it right now. Give me, I want to, I want to comment. Well, then it's not a segue. Well, it is, a, a it is a segue, but I, he can't just just tell us about Johnny Dynamite without me saying something. Uh, I have this book. 
Oh, you do have this. I do, and I have yet to read it. I think you're going to like it. Of course I'm going to like it. That's why I bought it. But, yeah, um, well... Uh, and everything Craig does is amazing. And, and like yourself, I do have a very, very soft and wet spot for the pre-code crime and horror stuff. Uh, but yeah, the Tusca is the, the, the uh, leaning into Tusca's style. It's on every page, right? It, yeah. It, and there's it, even, there's even a character in here that's named Tusco. Right? Oh, nice. So, so I mean, it, it's 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 influences are written all over it, it itself, um, and you know the it, it, and the other thing I really like about this, especially in comparison to like other crime comics, you know, earlier crime comics, like I really like Crime Does Not Pay a lot. Um, I think that's a terrific series, and there's so much going on in in all of those, almost all of those stories um, that are worth thinking about and reading and and dealing with, but. I mean, honestly, like, you know, uh, Charlie Biro is is not Pete Morisi, right? Like, in terms of, like, the depth and the feeling and sort of the the way that these characters move and sort of live on the page. And there are times, I, like, it really leans into the Tusca, but there are even, there are moments with that I don't want to, I don't want to make this comparison too uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't think it's that that tightly relate uh, related, but like there are moments that feel you know almost tothy, like in the ways that like the characters sort of move and live on the page. Yeah, yeah totally uh, agree. And, and, and there, there's a lot of sort of you know EC sort of influence in there too um, that I think is just not present in a lot of other crime comics um, f- from the you know that predate this. Uh, it's just it just it just is something that just feels right, you know. Right. right. Um, and I, I I loved it. It was just it was such a good such a good buy. Yeah. And I you know I take great offense whenever um, someone says or, or someone equates the the pre code stuff with being old and staid and boring and and uneventful it's like are you kidding me this stuff is violent as fuck this woman shoots johnny dynamite in the eye yeah like you couldn't do that in a in a big two comic these days they wouldn't be able to publish that and yet here you go this stuff was served up to children on the regular yeah back in the day like they didn't even they didn't even consider it as being a little too violent of course it's violent that's the point yeah, the the violence and the sex just I mean this is this is clearly an adult comic, right? I mean, yeah. short of short of printing curse words in it, um it, it it's it's as adult as anything. Um and I, I, I tend to take umbrage at those things too, like when people get all sort of I don't know, when when they dismiss these uh, comics or stories from this era as childish or as hack work or, right, or whatever. Right. That's just not that's not true. That doesn't hold up. Um, more often it, than not, the creative teams were making the 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 story were, were producing the stories for themselves because they didn't get paid much to begin with. Yeah. So one of the only uh, kickbacks from doing the work was to enjoy actually enjoy doing it. So they would they would write and draw these stories to please themselves, and the money was like small, insignificant, but it, they got paid for it. And you could tell like they're just labors of love, right? Yeah, or they're working in a or they're working in a studio somewhere. And then those, and then the work is being sold as a package to someone else, where they're not. It's not an editorial mandate to do certain, yeah. you know, X, Y, and Z this month. Like, 
I'm working it. I'm working in the Iger studio. This is going to go out in our package at, to whoever we can sell it to, to Fox or to, you know, um, wherever. And that's just how it's going to be. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. But anyway, great stuff. So I'm, nice. I'm glad you. So the segue. Hey, you want to hear more about crippled children? <laughs> Always. I know where the woman's child was on the night of February the 6th, 1939. Uh Uh-oh. Yes, because that was when the first installment of Lee Falk and Phil Davis's Mandrake the Magician was published. Oh. Yes, and uh, it is a strip that is included in Comics Review numbers 413 and 414 i i've told you how they double up on the 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 issue numbers i don't get it but whatever um the cover date of this uh, edition is october 2020 and the mandrake story that i uh, in question ran from february the 6th 1939 to march 8 1939 and you know it does have the crippled uh, children it also has a very significant um, uh, racial content in it, uh, stereotyping, and it's not uh, pleasant, but it is one of those things that um, if one deigns to read this and under Mandrake stories, you got to make concessions, uh, not only for the time in which these stories were created, uh but to make matters worse, this story takes place in the good old South. So there's there's a lot of, of uh, time and uh, geographical, specific racial stereotyping. Um, but what do you do? Do you discount? The, 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 it's a double whammy, I agree. But do, do you discount the, um, the work because it contains uh, elements that are unsavory in our in our time period or do you just completely discount it obviously i don't discount it completely because i'm going to talk about it but um when you look at uh the stereotyping that's included in this story uh and you uh compare it to what is going on today we have made very very significant strides in pop culture uh especially uh, the depiction of african-americans and uh, well, you'll hear about it. So uh, the story actually begins on a sweet and kind of silly note, as uh, Mandrake he's visiting a hospital for crippled children, and there's the woman's son in the back. Um, and he, I, I, <laughs> I, I call it silly because Mandrake has an iron cow in his hand, and he's surrounded by kids in wheelchairs, and he says, "Poof." transforms the iron cow to a bottle of milk and he says hey kids you know you gotta drink lots of iron filled milk so your bones can can be nice and strong and i'm thinking milk's (laughs) not gonna do these kids any good they're they're already crippled they're already in wheelchairs but anyway i got a vince i got a quick question okay i don't know very much about mandrake right He's, he's a magician but is he a magician in the sense that he's a magician like David Copperfield? Or is, or is he a, mission, a, a magician like Doctor Strange? No, he's not. No, he's not 
he's not the sor- like the sorcerer supreme or he's not tapped into arcane forces he uses ment- okay. he uses mental manipulation and pre- prestidigitation to uh, there is a supernatural element within the series but not here not early I on it is more like satara yeah, kinda. Yeah, but I mean, he can't. But Zatara can get that demonic stuff. Man- can. Yeah, Mandrake can't. Well, he can make you think things, but the things you're thinking aren't actually happening. Right. Like you'll see, you'll see. So, um, he's at this children's hospital, turning iron cows into iron-filled milk and taunting the 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 children. And in attendance is is the daughter of a renowned. At least we're told he's renowned, uh, Colonel Rich, and and this woman's name is Dot Rich, and she has her eyes on Mandrake. Right after Mandrake does this taunting of the children, she kind of manipulates him into taking her to a nightclub for uh, dancing, and 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 they're in the thick of it, and they're dancing, and she, you know, remember she's a Southern belle, so she tells him. Um, hey, sugar, I bet y'all could use your powers of, of mental manipulation to get me to kiss you in a second. And, you know, Mandrake is, is probably thinking, Madam, should I use my powers to manipulate your mind? Your panties would be around your ankles. But anyway, um, the paparazzi notices that Mandrake is at this, this nightclub with this, uh, semi-famous rich Southern Bow. And the story breaks. That the magician was at Club Tango with with Dot, and way over in her country of uh, Cockagney, remember Narda? I talked about Mandrake before. Narda and Mandrake have this on again, off again relationship that goes for decades in the strip. They eventually get married, but the uh, does she doesn't she? He, they dragged it out for a long time. So Narda's over in her own little country. And she sees the piece in the paper that um, you know, Mandrake's with this dot. Uh, her brother, Segrid, kind of pushed it in her field of view. And um, Narda's like a fickle bitch. She's like, okay, Dick, you, you're with this woman. I'm not going to marry you. I'm, I have, want nothing to do with you anymore. I'm going to marry this Duke Hector. Like, on the spot. She just flips. I don't understand what slut. it... Right. I don't understand what it means to be so fickle, but apparently this, this Narda is, right? So the news, it gets on the, the, the radio, the news breaks of Narda's pending nuptials, and Mandrake's like, fuck you. You're going to get married. I'm going to go have fun with Dot. And sh- he takes off down to Dot's southern plantation with his, his buddy Lothar in tow, and, you know, Dot shows him around the, the sprawling cotton fields. And this is where it gets kind of uncomfortable. Um, Racist. Kind of, yeah. They they have people working the fields. And wouldn't you know, they're all people of color. Uh, it is 1939, right? So, and, and Mandrake's like, why do you employ all these people to do your work when you can bring? And he does this little mental hoodoo thing where he turns all the cotton into clothing. And Dot's like, oh, Mandrake, how'd you do that? You know, but... um Dot's boyfriend, she has had a lifelong boyfriend, uh, his name's Jeff, and, and he tries to get into Mandrake's face. And he's like, 
you know, it's my girl and you're stepping in my on my territory. Mandrake makes him think, number one, that he has a black eye. And number two, that he's encased in a block of ice. Neither of which happened. But Mandrake makes him think that, you know, it happened. And he tells him, look, I, I, I want nothing to do with that other than, you know, I just want to be your friend, you know. And and this is the part of the story uh, when Dot's very uh, peculiar personality tick bubbles to the surface. Um, she's tooling around um, in the Mississippi Delta with Mandrake and Lothar. They're in a boat. And she on, on a spur of the moment, she's just like, oh, man, it's getting kind of dark. We got to get back. And Mandrake's, no, let's have some fun. It's, you know, let's look around. I, I've never seen this part of the country. I just want to, you know, she's like, no, we got to get back. It's getting dark. Please, let's just go back to the, the estate. And he's like, all right. And, and, and she she orders her her people to illuminate the property with torches. Mandrake's like, what the hell's going on? Like, why are you so afraid of the dark? And it turns out that Dot is deathly afraid of a ghost called Old Jean. And it's actually the ghost of pirate Jean Lafitte. Uh, that, and the ghost roams the bayou in search of his treasure that he buried at the end of the War of 1812. So the, the, uh, the parents of the, the area use old Jean as a way of manipulating their children. It's like, you know, he's the Freddy Krueger of, of the period. Like, you don't do that. Old Jean's going to get you. And, and the, there's a montage of, of um, African-Americans. And the, the, the voice is, is very... Uh, there, there are vocal tics and affectations in their dialogue balloons that no one else in the story has. Like I said... Sure. You got to you got to ignore some of the stuff, right? Um but they know in their defense they know more about what's going on than than the people that employ them. So uh the the, the there's a young man from a neighboring plantation and he's fishing at night and, and he's he, he's looking around he <gasps> he thinks he sees the ghost of old Jean. And runs back. He's like, I saw the guy. He's had the sword and everything. He's out there. And, and Mandrake decides to get to the bottom of things. So they go out into the moonlit night, moonless night. And without a moon is the perfect time for Jean Lafitte to appear. That's what we're told, right? So he's out in the swamps with Dot and Lothar. And Dot and Lothar are not thrilled to be there. He, and, and Lothar is Mandrake's buddy. And he's built like a brick shit house. He's a giant hulking man that wears a fez and he he's like mandrake's guy friday you know he's just he's always with him mandrake confides in him lothar helps mandrake out of jams they, there's a very symbiotic relationship um going on it's not mandrake's slave uh just so you know let's make that clear but um at one point lothar jumps out of the boat Mandrake's like, what the fuck? What are you doing? Lothar says, I saw the guy. He's he's in the shadows. He's got the sword and everything. And and we're shown something in the shadows. The reader, we, the reader, is shown something in the shadows. And it's the back of what looks like a pirate with the cutlass. And he's looking around a tree. It's like, holy shit. And it starts to rain heavily. So Mandrake, who is a man of logic, he's looking for footprints. He's like, I don't see any footprints. Could it have been the rain that erased the footprints? And Mandrake's surveying the area, and Mandrake gets spooked. 
he's like, huh? I, I saw something. And so they run to the shore and man, for Mandrake to, to get like spooked, like Mandrake doesn't get spooked. He's very rational. He looks for the, the, the underlying, um, the, the reasoning for things. He doesn't go off the deep end and attribute everything to the supernatural. Mandrake needs information. He, he's part detective, right? And, uh, he can't come to the, he doesn't know what's going on because he thinks he saw what he saw and nobody knows because guess what? That's where the chapter ends. We're not going to know until the next issue of Comics Review. Man. But I got to say, this stuff, and it's going to sound like I'm the worst person in the world. This stuff is an absolute joy to read. Um, if, if you extract the stuff that is not kind to to certain, and I, and I may be blowing out of proportion because um, it, it's not mean-spirited at all. It's just the way black people were depicted in this. It's you're not blowing you're not blowing out of proportion. Vince. If it bothers you, a white male who grew up in Pennsylvania, then you're not blowing it out of proportion. No. There, there's a there's a woman sitting underneath a tree, and she has a, a small child, and the child is is crying, and and she says, "Stop you crying, honey child, or mammy gonna get old Jean after you." And she has the, 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 the handkerchief tied in her hair, like, mm-hmm. um, like ancient, you know, like ancient yep. Mima, right? Yep. Yep. And, and then there's, there's, uh, two black children sitting under a tree. And the one says, I tell you, my uncle George seen old Jean in the bayou clear as day. And the, the girl says, go on, your uncle George seen pink elephants once too. And it's not the way elephants is spelled. It's, it's, it's elephants, phonetic. Right. Right? Yeah. As if they are unschooled. Uh, no, I think they're just trying to get the point across that that's, that's the accent. I, maybe, not, maybe. But the, I, the thing, I'm, the point I'm trying to make is the, the black woman is sitting under a tree with a child. The black children are sitting under a tree. It's like they're, they're not doing anything. Like you could draw conclusions depending on sure. what yeah. you want to take out of this, right? Um, so yeah, you can put that on the back burner and it's just a, um, I, there's something about Mandrake. I I gravitate towards him because he is widely considered the first superhero, right? And uh, he's an important character, uh, as are many of the characters uh, presented in this issue. One story by George Harriman, uh, Crazy Cat, duh, it's Tiger T, one of the most important Crazy Cat stories ever constructed. Bar none. And why is that? um, Because it's a masterpiece. (laughs) <laughs> it is it's a masterpiece of the form tiger t is amazing and it's it's just if you're a, a, a an aficionado of classic comics tiger t is on the lips of of most of the fans when they cite you know one of the best comic strips ever created to, is tiger t but is there a reason why or is it just like what's the what's have the you thing? never read uh crazy no, cat no you've never read crazy cat educate me I, I'm not gonna. I don't have time to educate don't you on me. on Crazy educate Cat. Me. You you need it's to read Thanksgiving. You need to read read Crazy Cat. Oh, okay. Just because all of the shit get, that we take for granted. Terabytes and send me something just, over. Okay, but you got Flash Gordon by Dan Barry and Bob Fujitani. 
you got The Phantom by Lee Falk and Cy Berry, Bud Sawyer by Roy Crane, uh, there's Alley Oop by V.T. Hamlin, Tarzan by Gil Kane and Archie Goodwin, bitches. Um, Gasoline Alley by Dick Moores, Milton Caniff is, uh, or Caniff on Steve Canyon, of course, Mandrake. It's just amazing. It's 20 bucks an issue for 128 pages. Well worth every freaking penny. Um, I cannot stress how much of a value uh, Comics Review is. It is the thing I pull out of my box first uh, every other month because it is bi-monthly. And it's just it just makes me feel good to read these stories. Racism and all. Because I can I can pare away that fat and pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can, just like I'm sure people could do the same thing with Ebony when they read all right, Isaac right. Spirit stories. Yeah, but yeah. it's it you're not you're not ignoring or pretending it doesn't exist. It's, oh no! Printed there. I mean, this is this is archival. This is you know this is better yes. printed. This is this right. is history. This is the way things were presented. Whether you're right, you got to you got to look at it in the context, right? Exactly. David? Right. Mean, right. I mean, if it was written today, it's a little different. It's there's there is a there is a scene uh, in in the original movie, The Women, uh, that. And my wife absolutely loves this movie. We watch it at least once a year, but she's it is one of her absolute hands down favorite movies from that era. And she never noticed it until watching it quite a few times. But there is a scene that takes place where a couple of the characters are basically in the foyer and and they're they're having a conversation around a table and at the top of that table is a lawn jockey and and after my wife noticed it she started to feel some kind of way but that is again that's just something that people had back then and and now they're if you see them people try to maybe paint them white um they don't it's not like anybody's waving around the stars and bars it's it's this is this is just something that was used and um there's a connotation with it, but um, nobody, I think, actively. I don't know too many people who are going to go to a, to a a uh, some secondhand antique shopping and and see a lawn jockey and think, you know, that's I want to hang, I want to put this on display because you know I want people to know how I feel about other people, or is it just because hey, this is a kitschy piece of 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 history that you know has been around since back in the day. Uh, Go ahead. No, I, I, I talked about this story um, because the racial elements are not crucial to sure, any right. of the narrative. Exactly. Right? It's not, uh, you know, let's poke fun at these black people. Right. Or, or let's demean them. It, it's, it is. Um, it's an unfortunate approach that many things in pop culture many many creators in pop culture took back in that time period yes so yeah. you learn from it you 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 vow to never perpetuate the stereotypes and you move on right I mean, they exist appearances yeah. appearances aside if if the, if if their conversations didn't sound like they would take place down in louisiana then People would probably say, "Well, they're, they 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 sound far too educated for the way people would speak in that area based on this era." And and so you just, I understand having them speak a certain way, and I definitely get your point, Vince, with how it's how it's presented, how it appears, the way it's the way the visual 
image is, is put there for you to take in that, um, that's, it's, it's an uncomfortable line at times. And, 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 uh, especially as white dudes, I, I think it's, we never know. We don't always know how best to approach this. We could show it to someone. Right. Right. And, and they're like, what's the big deal? That's just, you know, I mean, yeah. It's, or if you show them, you know, bamboozled, then it's like, what the fuck is this on my TV for? So well, it, just... it's almost subversive in a sense, because Mandrake treats Lothar as an equal. Um, they, like I said, they, they rely on each other. They've both saved each other's lives. Um, uh, they play off each other. And, and I think, um, that is the, one of the saving graces of the strip in that, um, here you have a very well-to-do, uh, intelligent white dude that his brother, uh, by all means, is black and it's just there's he doesn't blink an eye he doesn't consider the color of his skin you know that's not a factor in their relationship and that's mm-hmm. awesome and I, I think you know as as an example of what can be achieved you know maybe mandrake should be studied for that reason well at some level too i mean you just have to acknowledge that american popular culture has a real problem with white supremacy <laughs> and, and I, yeah i don't think it's it's american pop culture i think it's america period well, America. Period. Yeah, yeah. of course. But yeah. I mean, of course, of course. Of course. I mean, I mean, that I feel like that part goes without saying. But since we're talking specifically about pop culture, right? I mean, it right. just has a white supremacy problem, and you just have to acknowledge it. And, and just, I think you have to acknowledge two things. One, there there have always been voices of dissent, always. And two, yeah, this shit is racist, horrifically racist. Um, and you just have to you have to be able to sort of. You know, I, I was saying this the other night, but uh, you have to be willing to like have like two minds about this. One that recognizes the ugliness and is willing to reckon with it and deal with it and own it and try to be better tomorrow, while also acknowledging that hey, there's a, there's something of artistic and cultural merit in here that speaks to me or speaks to an audience or a moment in some way, and because it does that, it's worth considering and revisiting. Right. I mean, it, 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 you can't you can't have it both ways. You can't like say like, well, the depiction of these characters is is terrible and jettison it. Which I know that's not what you're saying, Vince. But you can't just like ignore those parts. Like you can't because right. when you when you participate in that kind of erasure, then you erase the very real sort of sites of like locations of oppression that happen to people. So you can't ignore it. You have to just say, man, this is racist. Right. Well, you know me. I walk oh. on eggs around things uh like this because personally i'd be like fuck it show me it all baby push my face into that wormy disgusting maggot ridden piece of meat and let me face the the ugliness of of you know pop culture past i like that because it makes me question not only you know my beliefs but it it makes me re-examine um you know the things that i hold i held dear growing up may not have been so squeaky you know what i mean it, it just makes me question things i uh, i really like being pushed into those uncomfortable areas not I so love, for other people right? i love that you acknowledge it and you don't just shrug it off and go that's that's just that's how it is that's just your mindset like you you there's something in you that you recognize that you recognize that that image or appropriation or rendition is is wrong there's there's it's 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 offensive 
in some way, shape, or form. And, yeah. and the fact that that, that, that registers in you is, uh, is something I adore. Well, no, I mean, come on. I, I told you I grew up with Archie Bunker. Archie Bunker right. was my grandfather. Right. And, and I could, I mean, my, my parents weren't, but my grandparents were. Um, and there was one story that my grandmother always told uh, when she was coming over from Italy on the boat as a child. Um, they were they were passing out food, and um, one of the cooks in the kitchen offered her a loaf of bread, or a piece of bread, and she said, "I can't eat that. Your hands are filthy." And it was a black man. It was the first black man my grandmother had ever seen. Okay. And she said, I can't eat that. You're dirty. And, and, you know, she learned from it and, and did not grow up racist. But my grandfather was a different story, right? And, and like I said, he was Archie Bunker. Um, I learned from his mistakes. I saw that that's ridiculous, that everybody in my Sicilian mind, I thought everybody was the same, regardless of what I hear at the Sunday dinner table, right? So... I guess it's it's a personal thing. It's if you have the wherewithal to question what you're being told is the truth, then yeah, you'll come out on top. I think inherently, I think all humanity is like that. There's just the people that will not question what they're told by those uh, they come to respect, and maybe the people in their family, right? They just don't question it, and so they perpetuate that thing, generation after generation after, and it just happens, right? They're too stupid to question if they're being told or what they're, what they're hearing is the truth. Mm-hmm. I got to get off the soapbox because, no, it's just, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but that's just, you know, question what you're, question everything. Yes, question everything. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, here's, a, here's a clumsy transition into something that is related to what you're talking about. Nice. So, so you were talking about uh, Jean Lafitte, like the ghost of Jean Lafitte, you mm-hmm. know, the, the real pirate. So I got to wondering if there were uh, other ghost stories with him. And apparently there are. There are a bunch, but they don't take place in Louisiana. They're all like in Galveston. But in looking this stuff up, so Lee Falk also created, who you know, the guy that created Mandrake and, and I'm sure uh, that did this strip, uh, also created the Phantom. As of course. Might, yes. As the kids at home might know. But in a late fans, Phantom uh, strip, uh, the Phantom eventually married Lafitte's fictional sister, Jeanette. And Lafitte himself is said to have been buried in a special vault in Skull Cave. So Falk has get like a out. Real... Yeah, there you go. I so... didn't know. I mean, I know he eventually got married, but I didn't know that she was the the sister of a pirate. Yeah, a very famous pirate. So... Yeah, one of the most famous pirates. Yeah. So anyway, so he's clearly interested in this stuff. And you know what else I found out about Lee Falk? This is wild. I didn't know that he. Um, I guess I just only know him from comics. So. I didn't know that he was a director, a theatrical director. Yes. So he worked with Brando and Heston and Paul Newman and Chico. What? Yeah. Yeah. So there. On what? What did he, what did he do? Are uh, you eating? See, playwright. Uh, I don't know. I'm just looking. I'm just looking at random like <laughs> Falk facts right now. And I'm like, he worked with Chico. Falk facts. Chico, Chico needed the money. And uh, he worked with Lee Falk on something. I don't. I have no idea what it was, but he did. So, wow! I lear- I'm learning so much. Well, of course oh. he worked. He he worked on a Defenders of the Earth cartoon. Um, well, right. That's the the um, ah, Jesus. 
the, 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 the syndicate, the King yeah, features. The, yes, I, right. I blanked because uh, when he said worked with Brando, I brought up the Lee Falk um, wiki page, and I, half of my brain was looking at the text and trying to think of you know, mm-hmm. King features. Sorry. So nice. I like it when I can instill or instigate some kind of exploration in this stuff. And again, pre-code syndicated newspaper strips. Ah, comics review. Go get it. There was a Mandrake TV movie in 1979. Yes. Yeah. How was it? Was it better Uh, than Doctor Strange? (laughs) No, that's impossible. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Captain America with the ears. You leave. You get J.D. Salinger's kid out of here. You leave the son of J.D. Salinger's (laughs) alone. You get his name out of your filthy mouth right now. Leave that that man alone. I love that movie. I bet. I really love that movie. When he fakes sick, he keeps using using the the same thing to get out of dry to get out of or to uh, to ditch his friends. When he ditches, uh, when he ditches, uh, what's his face in the middle of Canada? Oh, it's beautiful. He pretends to throw up, and he leaves his friend in the in the Canadian wilderness. It's amazing. Nice. Never not funny. <laughs> Never not funny. Poor Ned Beatty. Just can't catch a break. <laughs> you know, I got to give it up for Ned Beatty. He's been in some of the best comic book movies ever. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about Superman. Name what? two. <laughs> Popeye. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. see, yeah. I have. I know this is going to hurt you, but I have a hard time thinking about Popeye as a comic book character because to oh, me, he's yeah. always an animation character. Yes, first. cartoon. Yes, Sunday morning cartoons is when we used to see him. I'm just not going to hear it. <laughs> I mean, I know that's wrong. I know he's. I know it's wrong, but that's just where my mind goes. But he was wimpy, right? He was wimpy. Yes, I love yeah. that movie. It's one of the best movies ever, and yeah. <laughs> it's everyone is on so much coke in that movie, including the director. It is it is it is ridiculous. <laughs> Why you got that's just not the right approach. Watch uh, the movie again and watch the movie to see who's on coke. No, I don't have a cokeometer. I don't. I can't realize when someone's on coke. <clears throat> I mean, I, well. Okay. Every time you're around Zach, think about how Zach's acting. How about this? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, That's no, not no, even no. remotely true. Wait, it if, wasn't. Ned Beatty wasn't wimpy. Paul Dooley was. Are you sure? Oh, yes. wait a minute. I, I'm Star Trek. Yes, you're yeah. right. Oh, yeah, he always shows up as a as a Cardassian on on Deep Space Nine. Get out of uh, here! Are you sure? Go go. Yes. yes. Maybe I'm on coke. Yes. That's why you can't see when you can't tell when others are. You know, you're right. God damn it. I'm sitting here. I'm like racking my head. I'm like, this Ned whole Popeye B- conversation was worthless. Seriously, I'm going <laughs> to. Well, Deliverance was a comic, right? Yes, it was. Not. Was mad maybe, man. maybe in your stack, it was a comic. Was there anything funny about that? Was there anything funny about Deliverance? No. Exactly so. 
There'll be anything comic about it. That's not funny. No. <laughs> Let's keep this moving because we're entering a really weird. Well, that Mario heard what Zach read. What is Mario read? Okay, sure. You know, I love this episode because Zach talked about pre-code crime. Mm-hmm. Vince talks about some old comic strips. And now I'm going to come in with some, like, young adult graphic novel territory. Do tell. I read a graphic novel called All Together Now. And this is by Hope Larson, who I think most of us know who she is. Um, Hope Larson, uh, she was on, like, Batgirl for a while, right? If you're talking superhero stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. but this was, um, and I didn't realize it when I read it, it's a sequel to her, it's a loose sequel to her, uh, graphic novel called All Summer Long from a few years ago. But basically what it is, is it's kind of like a young adult graphic novel. Um, I actually purchased it for my daughter, um, but read it before I gave it to her. Um, but it's great. It's, uh. It's a story of this young lady in middle school named Bina and her friend uh, Darcy, and they're uh, they are starting a band. It's that you know middle school let's start a band thing. Um, I don't know about you guys. Okay, who has been in a band? Any of you guys? Vince, have yes. you ever been in a band? Yes. Zach, have you been in a band? No. David, have you ever been in a band? Uh, Not the marching band. No, not the marching band. I played sax in school, but no, I wasn't part of a band, no. Okay. So, there's that point in your life sometimes, for a lot of, I think, young men and women in middle school, where they learn an instrument, and they want to form a band. So that's kind of what this story is about. It's about this girl named Bina, and she meets this girl named Darcy in middle school. And they're friends, and this, it, it takes place in like Los Angeles. So it's it, the, the the whole the whole graphic novel has that real California feel to it. Um, but Bina's friend Darcy, she's from Brooklyn, right? She's like a transplant, and it's like it's classic classic young adult eighties movie kind of thing, right? The girl from in Calif- the girl that comes to California from Brooklyn, New York, and she's vegan. And she's artsy, right? Um, and they want to start a band together. And the, the story is basically just them forming this band. They need a drummer, which is, I think that if you've ever been in a band, needing a drummer is basically what brings a band together. Because I feel like the people that play guitar or people that sing or people that play bass might gravitate toward each other, but they never have that drummer. They have to go find a drummer. And that's what Bina and Darcy do. They go find this nerdy kid. His name's Enzo, which is a great name because it makes me think of Enzo the Baker from Godfather. Um, But uh, they meet this nerdy kid, Enzo, and uh, he joins the band. And they have have their band now. Darcy plays keys, and uh, Bina plays guitar, and she's like lead vocals. And Enzo is this amazing, like he's like this prodigy on on uh drums and um 
so they start this band. They're working on their music, and everything's great. And then, of course, it's middle school. So what happens? But Darcy and Enzo become a thing, right? So then you get this whole Yoko vibe going on. Um, Bina's now the third wheel, and she goes off to leave the band and try to figure herself out. It's really, it's really, it's really, I think it's really a story of, it's coming of age, obviously. But I think it's a story of finding yourself artistically is kind of what it's about. Because Bina never, um, you know, she joins the band because she wants to play music. And she she's the one that writes the songs, Bina is. And she's the one um, who's the most creative. The other two are obviously proficient uh you know musicians but bina is the she's the artistic drive right um and uh you know she she ends up you know they end up kicking her out of the band because uh of this whole yoko thing that happens because they get into arguments i'm not going to talk too much about it but it's a very very good coming of age um for an artistic kid kind of book. Um, you know, she loses herself along the way. Um, she, I think she discovers that sometimes waiting for things to come uh, artistically might be the better choice than just going full bore and, and diving in and making things happen, even if they're not supposed to happen yet, like forming the band or, you know, writing a song. And she, along the journey, discovers, I think, that letting... Sometimes inspiration has to come to you. You can't make inspiration come to you. Does that sound right? You guys have experienced that kind of... I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the art is very... I mean, it's Hope Larson. She does everything. So the art is very... Um, and the, it's a it's a, it's a slightly minimal line, right? It's 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 the, the it's it's not it's full it's not full color. It's kind of a wash of maybe two or three colors. Um, it's a it's a it's a really cute book. Um, you know, I mean, it it really makes me feel back get that feeling of being back in middle school or high school. Everybody, I all of my friends in middle school. Not all of my friends. Well, yeah, all of my mostly, mostly all of my good friends in middle school or in high school, and 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 definitely in college, were musicians of some type. Um, you know, uh, you know the people I lived with in college. They were, in, you know, they were in a band together. Like it's just, it's. I have always been around these people that make music. I myself was in, you know, a band in middle school that was fine. But, you know, it's middle school. I was in a marching band. I played trombone, in case you guys didn't know. <laughs> which is a funny which is a funny instrument in both name and function. It's very true. Yeah. There's something funny about a little short Italian kid playing trombone. It just is. Yeah. We call them boners, right? As you do. <laughs> but yeah it's it's a it's a great little graphic novel and um and you know it's not like it's not super groundbreaking work it's just it's that good comics done right feeling i read it i'm glad i read it um 
I probably will not revisit it. It's 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 that movie you go see in the summer that really makes you feel good and is a lot of fun, but you're never going to watch it again. But right. you're glad you did watch it. Right. Um, the memory's more than enough for you. Absolutely, yeah, right. absolutely, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's uh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna ask. Did you? Uh, I mean, I know you're just saying that you're probably not gonna revisit, but I was checking it out because I like I like Hope Larson a lot. I think she's a really good cartoonist. Um, but this, did you pick up or did you read the, the follow up to this? So um, apparently, it's like a series, which makes sense. Like, IA type thing. Yeah, all summer long is came out a couple years ago, mm-hmm. um, and I did read it when it came out. But I did not realize when I read this just uh, this week that mm-hmm. that it was a follow up to that at all. Got I it. bet if I go back and read it, I'd, I'd realize it. But it didn't. Like I said, it's it's one of those movies that you see and you like it when you're watching it, and it you 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 do take something away from it, but you you don't think about it anymore. Yeah, and I and I think there's a perf that there's a perfect place for that type of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it just made me. I mean, it gives me that feeling of it gave me that feeling of being young and being around musicians or being in a band and just that that energy that that had. Um, you know, it had a, it had a very strong energy because you would you know you'd go to gigs and you'd. Mm-hmm. You'd be around these people in these dark, sweaty, smoky rooms because back then everybody smoked inside, even the fourteen-year-olds, right? And I mean, it was just—it gave me that vibe of of just like artsy music, like creation power. You know, they go to this gig um, that this kid sets up at the back of a burger place called like Great Burger. And they, you know, it's it's this like floating uh, open mic kind of venue thing that happens, and the, he opens it up to this place called Great Burger at the back of it, and he calls it GBGBs because <laughs> it's I don't know, you know, Great Burger, but it's just right. you know, it's just that, that that feeling of of what you would do if you were fourteen, right? You'd call yeah. it GBGBs because it would it would you would think it was cool because no one else you knew had heard of you know CBGBs. <laughs> Right, but you did, and your friends did, and you thought it was cool. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was very enjoyable, and uh, um, you know, I I like Hope Larson. She's a she is a good cartoonist. It's yeah, storytelling's great. Um, you know, it's just it's just like I said, it's just like good comics done right, and it's put out by uh, who is this Farrer Strauss Juro, which is, I think is a subdivision of what something. Yeah, Collins or Penguin House or, um, yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those big book publishers, graphic yeah. novel uh, subdivisions. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know it's thirteen bucks. It's a uh, couple hundred pages. I forget that because um, that's not the important thing when it, when it, when I think about Hope Larson. But I, I I tend to never remember that that she was married to O'Malley at one point in time. Who was she married to? Brian Lee O'Malley. Mm-hmm. Scott Pilgrim? Yes. Which I've never oh. read, but yes. I did not know that. So yeah, it feels like it's you know, it's it's that same kind of it's that same kind of book. 
as Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim is probably, mm-hmm. in my opinion, better done and like much more high level than this, but but it's that same kind of, of vibe as you're reading it. See, now that's one of those things where you, you were talking about um, summer blockbuster, you see it once, never have to revisit it. That's my opinion of Scott Pilgrim. Not not only the movie, but the 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 comic as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. I mean, I love both. I do love both. I've I have I've only read that series twice. Mm. I've never since you know ten years ago, whenever that was, since I've read it twice, not felt the need to go back to read it. Right. I agree. I do love the movie though. That and it is something I could always put on in the background and just let it be on. Now, since. Every once in a while, I do think about seeing the movie if if it comes up during scrolling or anything like that. I I, I think about stopping on it, but um, and what it looks to me is that it's it's a good enough standalone thing on itself that I don't. It's obviously an adaptation of 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 the series of of books, but having not read the source material, the movie's fine on its own, right? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, was I mean, ma- it was made for the rubes. It was made for the the, the people that actually true, go yeah. to movies. Yeah. You know. So right, right. And there's some. And you never. You so you've never seen it, David? No. I mean, there are great cameo performances in that movie because the whole premise of Scott Pilgrim is that he has to defeat the seven ex uh, boyfriends of the girlfriend, right? Right, right. And they're all musicians, or no, no, they're not all musicians. They're just seven ex boyfriends. But the seven ex-boyfriends are some great actors. You know what I mean? Right. It's like Chris yeah. Evans. It's yep. De- De- uh, it's uh, Superman, Ralph, whatever his name is. Brandon Ralph, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's some – I mean, and the performances are right? just amazing. Yeah. Jason Schwartzman, yeah. 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 The, it's, it's, it's really, really well done. Okay. If you can get – if depending – Uh-oh. Huh. Where'd you go? He looks like he hung up on himself. Damn. It's all right. We'll get him back. This is yeah. the the perils of Skype. Yeah, yeah. Talk about how great Microsoft is again. Well, hey. <laughs> we we got to get him to stop eating the microphone anyway. He gets on Damn. top of that like is a that, like a cheap whore. Like listen. Yeah. <laughs> I I considering I've I mean part of what probably I got kicked uh, off has you never uh, part of probably what's never made me real interested is the fact that Michael Sarah is, is front and center. So I guess as long as I can overcome that hump, I should be able to enjoy it. Yes. Nice. There you go. David, I, what did you read? Um, I read a... This is actually something that was, uh, that was Kickstarter, but uh, because the Kickstarter was able to make it a thing... It was solicited in previews a couple months ago, and it was actually available to shops today. Uh, it is from Magnetic Press, and it is called Paris 2119. And this is, because it's the one from Kickstarter, it has a uh, fantastic, uh, the gorgeous uh, Peach Momoko uh, to cover, and exclusively to this. But I, I don't know if the uh debossed gotta write that time Vince cover uh title on the cover is exclusive to this version uh, it, it is a it is a large 
the dimensions of this was bigger than I was expecting. It's a little bigger. It's a little taller than uh, some of Magnetic's other offerings. Still complete with the rounded corners, but just slightly taller. Uh, but the, the book is basically what the pitch kind of says. Uh, Black Mirror meets Blade Runner. Uh, it's a cyberpunk love story. And, and yeah, that's, I mean, the Blade Runner aspect of it is pretty apparent. Uh, but when you're done reading it, you absolutely get the um, the fucked up world that the Black Mirror stories take place in, and uh, it's it really is it's 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 a gorgeous looking book, uh, inside and out. It is um, written by Zepp and illustrated by Dominique Bartel, and it is a um, it's a story about Tristan. Tristan Keys is a uh, is a writer. Uh, writes columns um, and he is a he he kind of longs for nostalgia he doesn't he takes the metro he, he walks everywhere he doesn't take the little transport tubes he's not he's not keen on um, he appreciates technology but he, he kind of kind of longs for the uh, the 20th or even you know, 21st century Um and Tristan is in love with a woman named Chloe. And Chloe is a very, um, she, she is the opposite of Tristan in so many ways. Tristan's kind of, he's, he's not pale, super pale, but he is, he's, he's on the lighter side of things. And, and Chloe is, is an extremely attractive, very dark skinned woman. And, um, has no problem walking around the house naked. So there's the nudity for Vince. Uh, she, um, she has her own job and she has to go to China because they're in, they're in, uh, they're in France, obviously. Um, has the title, but they, she's got to visit some men in China and she gets in the, um, the transcode tube, um, which, uh, is exactly your, your, uh, transcore. Sorry. Um, and it's your teleportation device. And so she goes to China and, and goes about her day. Um, Tristan was hired uh, to write a column. So he's going over to talk to um, the, uh, the publisher. Um, and when he gets back, he, um, Chloe's waiting for him. And they're having a conversation. And her eyes are bothering her. It, it's like the lights are extremely bright. She's just... She felt like her eyes are going to explode, um, and it's just it's it's just crazy that the, the, the pain she's in. So um, Tristan gets some medicine. She feels a little better, whatnot. As the day goes on, um, Tristan's going home, so he walks to the to the tube and and he gets on the gets on the train. But when he gets off, there's a um, there's a big commotion. Uh, a huddle of people down on the platform and they're surrounding this woman. The woman is actually looks just like the publisher he spoke with earlier that day. And she seems extremely out of it. Um, though it surprised Tristan when he met with the publisher is that he did see her on a train earlier and she was basically just spouting gibberish. It was like, she was high on something. She was just incoherent. Couldn't understand. She had no idea where she was looking. She was a mess. Um, so Tristan, um, 
it's trying to find out what's wrong with this person. And it looks like two medical personnel are on the site and, and are basically taking, taking the woman away, taking her name is Kruger. They take Kruger away and, um, and they tell her, and Tristan follows the three of them and they let Kruger walk it off. But before she gets very far, they obliterate her. They basically, they, 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 she almost gets, she's basically disintegrated uh, from behind. And they, uh, so Tristan is completely flummoxed, bewildered, no idea what the hell's going on. Um, so he decides to call in and see, you know, maybe it was all just, maybe he wasn't sure what he was seeing. So he calls in the office and, and Kruger answers. But a lot of people uh, in this world, they, um, they're able to stay home and send their like holographic double out to work and things like that. So he figured I'm talking to, I'm talking to the hologram. Uh, the real Kruger is obviously dead. I saw her die. Um, but they get, but he gets there and sure enough, she's live and in person in the office and, and he's completely um, screwed up at this point. He's walking home. He passes a transcore tube in the public square and there's this woman inside it completely wigging out blood coming out of her mouth. She's just, she, she, she's also spouting gibberish. She's not making any sense and she's running away. Two women who were dressed similar to the two from the platform, they find Tristan and they're like, did you just, did someone just leave transport tube? He says, uh, yeah, well, which way did she go? He sent him in the other direction. So he catches up with the woman who escaped the tube, um, and brings her to the hospital. And the doctors have no idea. He's like, I, you know, like her insides are basically burnt to a crisp. She's got thousands of internal lesions. Um, and, and I can't even, you know, scan her identity. Um, he's like, so it turns out that while they're having this conversation, her identity is, they finally are able to scan her and, and, and get the ID. But apparently the woman on this operating table, the, the seemingly dying, is currently in Rome. And that's kind of where we realize things aren't exactly what they seem. And, and, and from that point, um, Tristan is trying to find out, uh, he's starting, he's starting to ask questions that, uh, people may not want answers of to be out there. Uh, it's a, um, it's not, there are some kind of psychologically screwed up moments in the book. Uh, Tristan's a real good investigator. If he wasn't writing what uh, this, this chintzy column he's writing, he'd probably make a, a really good investigative reporter, but um, he has a conversation with Chloe that isn't quite lining up with earlier conversations. We saw them have in the book. So something's definitely up with Chloe. Um, and Transcore is, is, is kind of behind all of it. Uh, when Tristan was going to school, he was asking questions. He was, he was at, one of his professors um, dealt with, you know, matter manipulation, things like that. And when they were talking about the type of work, uh, the invention that, you know, Transcore uh, found and, and purchased from other scientists, um, it turns out that you can't really, uh, the professor was telling Tristan, you know, what you used to see in the movies 
about you know people transporting from one spot and materializing in another. He's like, that's we can't do that. That wasn't something we were able to figure out. So basically, what it comes down to um, is is they're making copies of people, and 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 Tristan's trying to find out well, what happens to the original, and and then things get get a little gray and 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 crazy. Um, it's uh, it leans towards all the nice sci-fi elements that uh, that I enjoy. I mean, you, as soon as you tag anything with with oh, if you like Blade Runner, I, you kind of had my attention right there. Um, but the fact that uh, I'm familiar with these creators uh, from previous works, and um, and I've been liking what what Magnetic's doing. This was kind of that was the easiest part of the sell. The rest of it was just kind of kind of gravy but um uh, the art's great the uh it ends i i think i would have liked it i think the story could have been fleshed out a little more as far as page count uh it is a um it's a 90 no sorry it's a 75 76 page story um it it kind of speeds up a bit at the end and uh some things maybe are a little tidier um I understand why it ended where it ended. Um, it just, when we got to the end, things felt a little rushed. But um, but I really like the characters. Uh, I, I doubt we'll revisit these this world. But uh, if we do, I'd love to see what's next for them. But, uh, but yeah, Paris 2119 is one of, um, one of my favorite things that, uh, that I read this year, for sure. I Did like you- the sounds of that. Did you know that Peach Momoko does a shit ton of covers for Dynamite? Yes, I think she does a shit ton of covers for everyone. She does. She's like the new like alternative cover queen. She's very good. Very very good. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. She's doing one for like every issue of like Rorschach. She's all over the place. Yeah. All right. Good transition because I want to know, Zach. Yeah. Are you reading the Rorschach? Uh yeah, I was I was urged to do so. Wow, so, okay. So Yeah. What do you think of the metatextual uh content? Uh you know, it's fine. Uh and I don't mean that in any kind of um you know, I don't I don't mean that kind of like passive aggressive way. I mean it's it it's it's good. Uh and it's not super surprising. Um I mean, you can see where it's going right away. Right. But but you know there's a lot of there's a lot of time left in the series so I you know I don't want to be too hasty in you know in my sort of thoughts or evaluation of it but um, but you know one of the things that you know I'm going to say sticks in my craw but I don't actually mean sticks in my craw because I'm an adult person that doesn't get upset by fiction um, but uh, you know like the 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 recluse thing sticks in my craw a little bit. Um, because that's just not true, um, and yeah, I just that's just one of those like persistent like mythic elements of Ditko's life that I just it just it just uh, it makes my skin itch a little bit. So right, yep. Um, but I but I understand why it's there because that's the myth, that's the popular sort of narrative that surrounds him. So I, I mean, I get it, and I. You know, and it's you know it's fiction, so it's okay to do whatever you want with fiction. Um, but the thing that I the thing that I thought was really fun was um, in the second issue where the uh, the detective who looks exactly 
and maybe not maybe not exactly, but looks like stunningly like Peter Falk. <laughs> <laughs> I saw given given that I saw Tom wearing that Columbo t shirt, and I was like, Well, my my Columbo sort of needles are, are off the charts here. Um but anyway, uh, when he finds that that story or whatever, that's, you know, a question, Mr. A type story. I thought that was interesting. And I, um, you know, the, the philosophy that he puts in that comic, I think is, it's incoherent. And I think it's intentionally incoherent. Um, but, uh, but there's some elements of truth or truthiness in sort of the way in the way that I think Ditko thinks about internality and about sort of identity being a series of conversations within yourself. Uh, that sounds, that sounds really true to me. That sounds, that, 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 that sounds really sort of, uh, Ditko in a very sincere way. And then there's other moments in there where, um, where, you know, he talks about, um, you know, the, the characters, I you have to forgive me. I've forgotten the name of the cartoonist, uh, William Meyerson, right? Is that right? Yeah. Something. Um, when he's talking about, uh, you know, how that cartoonist in creating these these comics was trying to do something more, I think that that's true too. That feels right. Um, I don't agree with the superhero, like the jettisoning, like superhero stuff. I mean, they say pirate, but um, but you know that was that was never Ditko's thing. He he was creating supernatural and superhero stories up till the day he died. So you know. Um, so he he never quit that, um, but uh, but the the other thing I liked about that too is uh, it's sort of um, presenting that that cartoonist as someone who just was really worried about fascism and just like the dangers of fascism and seeing fascism, you know, at, at every turn, right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, I think that that's something that's that's pretty that strikes that rings true to me in in Ditko's work too. So so it's been interesting. I mean, it's two issues. Um, and to be real honest with you, like, uh, you know, I don't care what anybody does with, you know, I, I wouldn't tell somebody to not read Watchmen spinoffs or watch the TV series, but it's not something that holds any interest for me. Um, but I, I picked these up because of the Ditko thing. Uh, and I was pleasantly surprised. Um, maybe if I had read this before I shipped out my first Rorschach Watchmen toaster at DCBS, then, you know, my attitude would be different, <laughs> but um, things didn't quite work out that way. So, right. I, I like where time's going with it, but I think it was the obvious direction. Yeah. I mean, what could he have done otherwise? Right. You Doesn't know, I mean, it's not entertaining. Enjoy. No, no, yeah, I think it, it, I think it's it, very yeah. entertaining. Yeah. But I mean, if you're going to try and write a watchman tie in that not only does justice to what Alan Moore has done, but, but in a sense encapsulates not only the, you know the the character of Rorschach but the inspiration from which that fictional character was derived like of course you're going to do a meta story involving a Ditko-esque character like it just makes sense to me it seems like the obvious choice to me i, I don't know maybe i'm just yeah. overthinking it but I read the first the first two issues. And I'm like, of course, Tom would do this. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's how I felt about it too. And you know, like I said, you know, I don't want to be. I, I 
I, I enjoyed the first two issues, but I don't want to be too hasty about anything. And, and, and I would certainly, you know, like I, I also, I'm also a person, I think Mario is probably this way too, but like, I'm also a person that has to like create like a minimum, like safe distance between myself and the work on this one to make sure that like, I'm not yeah. like putting on like, Absolutely. that's like, the only approach, right? If you get too yeah. invested in it, then, then yeah, your, your reasoning is faulty because you're taking it too personally. Right. Well, it's not even personally. I mean, I, I feel like I'm pretty good at that, at like setting aside the personal stuff, but I, I have to like take off like the historian hat, right? Like, okay. and, and like the, the, the critic hat, um, because, uh, you know, those are the things that, that disturb me the most, right? Like when stuff, like when there's an obvious and pronounced like untruth about, about a human person, right? Like regardless of, you know, what, what I know or, uh, knew or believe about them, um, that, you know, that makes me, it makes me nervous. Right. right. Uh, so, so I, it's, so like I said, you know, it's, I've been, I, I'm making an effort with this to like set that aside and appreciate it as what it is a story first, a comic first, and let's see how this unfolds and let's, let's follow along and see what it does. And then think about it more deeply after. Right. Well, I, I look at it a number of ways. Um, it's, it's a smart approach because mm-hmm. it, uh, in a sense, it, removes any of the um, it takes away all the watchman baggage because he's doing a meta textual exploration into a character of Steve Ditko through one of his creations that's awesome it's artsy it's it, it'll probably win him awards but on the one hand, it's 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 creatively challenging, yeah. But it also eliminates any kind of the 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 uh, uh, rebuttals, like, well, this you know, this has nothing to do with Watchmen. How does this factor into the Watchmen universe? It does and it doesn't, right? Yeah. And and so it's 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 both the safe and the ballsy approach, yeah. concur concurrently, uh, depending on from what avenue you're approaching it. If, if you you know, our uh, love Watchmen and, and have um, the utmost regard for that that story. Maybe you're going to take anything that has been done after, and we've know we know these people, right? That just disavow everything as not being canon because it's not Alan Moore and, and Dave Gibbons, right? Yeah. So well, I mean, I'm, you know, yeah. I mean, I think I'm, that that I think that that's what Tom is. I think I feel like that's what Tom. I don't know if it's conscious or not, but I feel like what he's doing is he's taking. All right, so when I say the story of Watchmen, I don't mean the narrative of Watchmen, all right? So he's taking the story of Watchmen and the story of Steve Ditko and the story of Rorschach and making a story about it. He's making a story about mythology. Yes, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. He's, but, he's, but, um, it's, not, it's not like a direct it's – not, it's not a sequel – it's not about Steve Ditko, the real man. It's not about any of that stuff. It's a, it's a story about story about story. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. And and I think that's you know on the one hand, it's the obvious choice because it 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 removes any kind of um, guilt from doing a Watchmen story in the wake of the original, right? But, but do the, you think it's the obvious choice to 
to the general populace? No, no, no. It's choice to us. No, I don't think. I think seventy-five percent of the people that uh, have read Watchmen don't even know who Steve Ditko is. Yeah, I think that that number is generous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but I think I think that that's basically right, though. I mean, it's it seems to be it's a story about a story. It's about. It's a meta narrative about meta narrative, right? Sure. Like that's that, and, and I think that that that's an approach that it, it's obviously it keeps its that to me, you know. Again, you know, I can't, you know, I don't want to say this any more times, but I mean, there's still so much left in this to right. sort of really right. figure out what's going on. Yeah. And um, you know, reading Tom's other sort of stories that are like this, you, there's usually a lot more that to come. Sure. Um, but. It is the choice that makes sense for the audience that would be buying this book, right? Right, right? because they there are those, there are. It, it's such a polarizing, you know. This conversation comes up all the time, but it's such a polarizing thing to do a new Watchmen series because there are plenty of people who want to see more stuff in that universe, but there is a very vocal and probably and, and honestly, frankly, a minority which I am in that thinks that there shouldn't be anything else, and I, it's not because like I like I'm attached to like the narrative. Like I just, I have like ethical concerns about doing more Watchmen stuff. Um, but I also understand that that's not the real world. And um, you know, so when it's reapproached, I think that reapproaching it in this way, you know, dances between the raindrops uh, that allows this project to exist on its own and be judged on its own merit while appeasing the, the group of people that, you know, love Watchmen and love that Watchmen and probably know and understand that Watchmen is a meta narrative, right? And then seeing that meta narrative spawn a new meta narrative, right? right. So I, I think that that I think that that's the way that you do it. And if it, in some ways, I agree, it feels obvious, but it also feels like you're almost painted into a corner where you have to make that choice because, like, if if it's just like a sequel, then it's just the damn Watchmen video game. Right, that came out like at the same time as the Snyder film, or it's, um, you know, it's Watchmen two, you know, or you know, it's uh, it's it's Watchmen babies and V for vacation or whatever the case. Right, like, I don't well, think... it's he's created a safe zone for himself, right? Yeah, and those but I would have, I, I would have made the same choice. Yeah, because it, you're you're telling a, a a story that that yes, it may continue the narrative of Watchmen. And it may continue the narrative of the television show, Watchmen, which is awesome, but it's really a story about the legend and the mythology of a graphic novel created or a 12 issue series created by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons and the inspiration for those characters, one of which was Steve Ditko's The Question. Yeah. 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 That just so happens to work as a further iteration of the Watchmen universe. So it's smart, right? But he is yeah. uh, disavowing any kind of, you know, uh, don't get mad at me because this is not a Watchmen story. It's a Watchmen story of a Watchmen story, right? You know, so it's a safe distance yeah. and it's, it, I think it was just the, the obvious choice. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it makes it makes perfect sense to yeah. do it in this way. Yeah, I mean, he's great and I like what I'm seeing on the page. So when all is said and done, that's when you really uh, carve up that that beast and and see what makes it tick, you know. So I mean, two chapters in, yeah, we can get a, an inkling, we can glean where it's going, but do we really know? I don't know. I don't think it's safe to say yet. 
I think yeah. you're you're smart for just you know taking a wait and see approach. It's yeah. twelve issues, right? Yeah, and it's twelve. Yeah, issues I mean, two issues in, I can't imagine that we we're seeing where it's going. The, where, you know, but the second issue takes place all in one place. It all takes place in the apartment building, so it's not like we we don't it. And and that's over the course of however long it t- took him to talk to these few people in the building. So um, there's still a lot. We, we need to see. I mean, he's he's the detective is coming up with with leads and the like. But I mean, we don't we haven't gotten into his way of thinking yet to find out if how he's figuring out who's behind all of this. So there's there's absolutely wait wait and see is really the only way you can do this. But anybody who's trying to guess now where it's going, um, it's just talking crazy. But you see the scaffolding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's there. I mean, the puppets can do what they want, or what Tom manipulates them into doing. But right. you can see the scaffolding or to the, that that you know the framework on which all this stuff is is built. Yes, yes, so, you can. Yeah, smart. We can see it. I don't know. Yeah, like people like us can see the scaffolding. I think it's important to know that that we're much more obsessed with this stuff than a lot of people but this is what adds value to the work right i mean for us for us sure but i'm sure there's some people that are reading this thinking i got no idea what the fuck is going on here why what is this in that regard i think you know reading it as a straightforward story um oh it works as that yeah yeah that's what i'm saying so i mean i don't no one's really lost they're just not they're not they're not getting the Easter eggs. They're not getting the the winks and and the the nods that you know Tom's throwing at us, and even yeah. even Fornis, because obviously there are some of the things that I'm sure Tom is. I, when we're speaking to Tom, it sounds like there are some things that that Jorge is putting on the page that that Jorge wants to have shown, and and you know, so both of them are kind of um, giving a little bit of a of a hat tip to. Um, to us fans who have been here for a minute. Well, one can argue that the Easter eggs are the story. One could argue. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the things he's really good at, though. Like, what in from Vision to uh, to Mr. Miracle and this, and uh, to be honest, I'm really far behind on Strange Adventure, so I, I can't and shouldn't comment on it, but that's one of the things I think he's really good at when he gets his hands on these kinds of stories is that you can read it in two registers, right? You can read it in the register that the Easter eggs are the story, which in this case, they seem to be, uh, or you can try to read it as just the straightforward narrative. And when you get it as just the straight story by itself, I mean, he's not, he doesn't do any handholding, right? Like he's not like, he's not, uh, um, he's not doing you a lot of favors in terms of like giving you like the background on like who these people are and like why they make the choices they make, but they still function and operate in a space that's, you know, a pre-existing space that's understood. And I think that he's very good at that, at, at allowing readers multiple ways to sort of access the writing um, and, and, and the, in the narrative in that way. Cause like when I read it, I read it like Vince, right? Like I read it as these are the Easter eggs. Like what are the clues here? Like, where are we going with this? And what is he saying about, this thing that I happen to know a lot about um, versus, you know, how 
an average comic fan is going to read or an average person that watched the Watchmen TV series or an average person that picked up their copy of their collection of Watchmen at, you know, at the borders, like store closing 10 years ago or whatever. Um, you know, I think he's good at writing for multiple audiences in that way. Right. He does have to appease the corporate masters. They want a story. He gives them a story. Yeah. 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 Cool beans. I'm glad we brought that up. Yeah. Nice. Me Mario Mario saying that uh, you know we folk <laughs> emphasis on on those who get the joke reminded me of um, the exchange you and I had earlier on the Slack Vince regarding the the things that we would know in capital right we, um, compared to someone just picking it up and 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 flipping through it right and you'll hear more about that in a few seconds oh yes. Because if you want to get your books getting fast and delivered right to your door, there may be nudity involved. There's only one place to go, and that's Discount Comic Book Service. DCBService.com are amazing. They are massively discounted books, lovingly packed, shipped straight to your door. You don't have to go anywhere. Going to the Taco Bell is much more difficult. Um, these are the specials, and they are going to disappear so pay attention. From Ahoy, The Wrong Earth, Night and Day Number 1, $2.19. From Image, Brandon Graham's Rain Like Hammers Number 1 is $2.49 because it's an exercise issue with an exercise price. And last, and certainly not least because you will be hearing more about this in your travels, is from the University Press of Mississippi, Mysterious Travelers, Steve Ditko, and the Search for New Liberal Identity with a free signed book plate by the guy you've been listening to for the past two hours, Zach Crusay. Cover price, e, cover price, 30 bucks. Respect. Your price, $21. DCBService.com. Go there. In your travels, I got it right here. I'm going to talk about it. It is... A reprint of a reprint. <laughs> I don't know. No, see, I, I I disagree with that. It's it's a reprint of the original version. The reprint is has has a different cover. This has the original cover. So what it, is this like a issue of Marvel Age or Marvel Tales or something? No, it's it's uh, don't don't listen to David because it oh is, my god, it is a reprint of a reprint. It was originally issued in what eighty nine. Yes, and then this, they reprinted it. They reprinted it in '93 and gave cover. it and gave it away. This is this the Alan Zelenitz written copy is almost virtually the same. So, how many stepping stones are there? Three, right? But it's a reprint of the original because of the cover. I'm stunned. The cover, the contents are the same as the original. Yes, they are. Right. Right. So it's, the contents are almost the same as the original, which is almost as the same as the reprint. And this is the third iteration. But they're charging $5.99 for it this time. It's the same yeah. book. It's the same book. What is the book? All right. The book is the official handbook of the Conan universe. We're coming up on Marvel's 50th year with Conan. I think there's some fuzzy math going on. 
close. Not, it doesn't have to be. Are they counting all the time not, when they didn't have the? Race? I don't know. It doesn't have to be consecutive years. I don't know, but I'm thinking. All right, let's do the math. Conan number one was published in 1970. Uh huh. And we're in 2020, which was 50 years ago. Yes, yep. but Conan was not always at Marvel for those doesn't 50 matter. years, as, as Mike Richardson would. So uh, you know. He'd probably puke in his soup to tell you that he lost the Conan license and we had it for a long time. Come on, Dark Horse did great stuff with Conan. But Marvel has not had Conan for 50 years. This is the fuzzy math that Marvel does with their legacy numbering. and what was, their, what, what was the first year they had Conan? 1970. What year is it now? I know, but that's ridiculous. It, it says on the cover, 50 years of Conan at Marvel. That's not true. That is that is patently not true. Fifty years in a row. It just means we've we had him fifty years ago. We lost him for a little while. He's back now. Fiftieth anniversary of the publishing of the first Marvel Conan would be more, more appropriate. Yeah, let's look like, at the wording. Going, let's, we're just trying to shorten it. They're no, it's it's everybody. it's bullshit and it's untrue. Fifty years of Conan at Marvel. I agree with you, Vince. You're right. I'm just saying. <laughs> but anyway. It is an O-Hot move for the Conan universe, featuring a really nice Michael William Kaluta wraparound cover. Everything you would want to know about Conan and his environment is in here. The lands, the gods, the weapons, the rivalries. Uh, There are maps, beautiful maps, um, many of them. Um, I guess the maps were revised for the 93... Um, publishing of this guidebook. So you get the 93 maps, you get the OG maps. Um, but the one thing, and this is uh, what David uh, was talking about, on, on the Slack, I, I, I said, I read, we, we, we know how we list the things we're bringing to the table each week. And I listed the official handbook of the Conan Universe. And Dap says, you know, um, it irked me a little bit. And when I found out why, I had to agree with them. Because there's a bunch of art in this thing. And uh, throughout the entirety of the, the guidebook, it's all the art's unattributed. You don't know who... Well, this is the point he was making. We know who did the art. But the layman, the, um, those that aren't rabid Marvel and or Conan fans would go through this thing. Maybe you'd pick up on, oh yeah, that's John Buscema. I know his artwork. Oh look, Ernie Chan. His artwork is unmistakable. But wait a minute, who did this spread on the Aquilonia piece? I don't know whose work that is. And you keep going and it's like, alright, I don't know who did this. This work is is not familiar to me. The, the only way you would know is if you flip to the inside back cover when they list an alpha they alphabetize the contributors right you got elliot r brown john basima bob camp ernie chan vince coletta and armando gill and so on and so forth and we could i mean those people are unmistakable to us but if if you're a neophyte into conan you're not going to know and what would it have cost them to just put a nice little bob camp under the image unobtrusive but visible, right? It's like the old who's who, yeah. Yeah, or or Ernie Chan, because, but or Vince Coletta, and I gotta say, both David and myself are not huge Vince Coletta fans, but the artwork included 
in this book from Coletta is probably some of his finest work. Yeah, the ink, him inking over folks like Mary Wilshire, um, it's not, it, it's, she's still shown through. Um, he, the Coletta inks in this book don't appear, aren't as offensive as his work on other. Right, and it um, just so happens that Coletta touches all of the women in Conan's life. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure he did Valeria. Shire did most of the women in the book. Yeah, he he uh, inked Valeria. He did Belite. He did Red Sonia. So it's like okay, we get it, but it, it's not a bad showing for Mister Coletta. Right. Uh, long story, very short. Um, if you have wondered about how Hyperborea relates to Aquilonia. And who worships what? And Corinthia, um, you know, what uh, What are Red Sonia's origins? Whatever happened to Belit? I, I just read that initial story and I got nothing else. Well, this will tell you. Uh, $5.99, um, it's chock full of text. It's an Ohatmu, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well worth it because I'm a Conan Mark. And I bought it just be. I don't have either of the, the iterations of this book. So it's cool, you know. Um, I'm glad I bought it. It'll take. I'm not finished reading it. It'll take me a good. Oh, well, I'm, I'm figuring a, a couple of days to read this thing in between reading other things because this could consume you. You will get a very well-rounded um, view of of Conan and his world. Even Cull is in here too, so you get a, you get a little bit of. Uh, the world thousands of years before Conan, before Atlantis fell, and then you get the the, the remnants of what happened after. So it's it's awesome. Official handbook of the Conan universe. It ain't sequential, but it's talking about sequential. No, yeah, I mean it is. It's it's. I I remember having get, getting the the original version with the yellow on the cover, because um, the wraparound wasn't full from edge to edge uh, on the original. But yeah, no, I mean, I I read the thing back in the day. Um, this was just, I wanted this because it was just something to um, recapture. Uh, I, I, As I'm flipping through it, I remembered everything about it. It was a little different than, it wasn't, it wasn't as neat as the uh, as the Ohatmus with the way, you know, the, because some of the, the Marvel Universe handbooks had the static image of, of the, the figure of, of the character they were writing about. And then there'd be some action panels taken from comics here. You're getting pretty much every image is, is taking place in a setting and the character is standing somewhere or throttling someone, um, but the text kind of overlaps onto onto the image. Um, they're throwing quotes around next to uh, each entry, so it is. Yeah. It's it was it was a nice it was a nice change uh, from from months and months of of the standard Marvel universe. But it was a little different. But no, it it was. Um, I'm 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 glad they decided to re reprint it. Nice. Well, th- I'm sure there were budgetary concerns. Um, initially with this, with this book, because unlike the Ohatmu, I don't believe they commissioned every piece of art as new. 
I'm thinking a lot of these things were taken from other places. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, whereas with the Ohatmo, you had brand new illustrations for all of, at least a full, brand new full body illustration of the character in question. And then maybe the accompanying pieces were pulled from, you know, previously published material. But this, I mean, the layout's not as solid as the the, the regular Ohatmo. Um, and, you know, when you do a pull quote, that to me says, um, it's just lazy design. Here's a here's a big, large type sentence that you're gonna read again, and yeah. I'm I'm just putting it in this this layout because we don't have enough copy to run the entire two pages, so we're just making it flow, baby. And I'm using this quote that from from the thing you're gonna read twice, so whatever. Uh, but yeah, I, I I don't worry about any of that. I just need the data, right? Yeah. Um. And there's plenty. Uh, yeah, and one of the things that that that. It didn't torque me, but um, yes, Robert E. Howard created Red Sonia. But the Red Sonia that we all know and love was not created by Robert E. Howard. It was created by Roy Thomas. The the She-Devil with a Sword is all Roy Thomas, baby. He just used the shred of the name and maybe some of the character traits of, of Robert E. Howard's um, Red Sonia, and he created... The She-Devil with a Sword whole cloth is all Roy Thomas. And they don't really, you know, say, hey, Roy, thanks for creating Red Sonia um, and making us a whole bunch of money and making Dark Horse and Dynamite a whole bunch of money. Whatever. Uh, But it would have been nice, you know, dedicated to Robert E. Howard and Roy Thomas, the guy that brought Conan to Marvel and, you know, whatever. It it is what it is, right? (laughs) Right. It's kind of like how... uh how um, Rob Liefeld created Deadpool, but Joe Kelly really created Deadpool. The Deadpool that everybody knows. That yeah. everybody knows. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that that's kind of sort of similar, but not really, because um, you know, there, there, there's a, the template for Deadpool was in the he, uh, Kelly added the, the Kelly and Casey added the humor to Deadpool, right? Whereas Sonya is a hundred percent unique character, it's not a gun. I mean, Robert E. Howard's Sonya isn't even of the same time period as Conan. It's, it's, it's yeah, whatever. I don't want to get into it because we'll be here for an hour and a half. <laughs> but, but you know, thank Roy Thomas, not only for Conan but for Red Sonya and a bunch of other stuff. Thank you, Roy Thomas. Yeah, we should say that every episode. Mm-hmm. That's it for that one. silly motherfucker yeah (laughs) pass it on what else we got okay so um you asked Zach a question i'm gonna ask Zach a question oh Uh, do it uh, because you asked him about um steve ditko in the sense of being homaged in a comic book i want to ask him about a character that steve dicko created that recently um finished its four issue black label miniseries written by jeff lemire were you reading the question deaths of vic sage uh you know what i fell behind and i didn't finish it okay so uh, i read the first one i i haven't read two through four yet okay Uh, but don't feel Spoil away. No, no, no. It, it's it's fine. I mean, there's this. Um, 
I'm not, I, it's, I'm not going to spoil it. Um, in the sense of any, anything that gets revealed. Um, even though there is a pretty goddamn big reveal in the fourth issue, I finished it. I, I read the fourth issue, um, this afternoon and it's, it really, it's love Jeff, but this, this absolutely feels like something, something similar. That, uh, I don't want to, I'm sure there are things there are definitely things, especially in the fourth issue, that there are things that Vic says, that the question says, that absolutely feel like they would come from uh, Denny's pen or, or typewriter. But um, it's a little... There's parts of it that are that make me think, based on how extreme the action and the language is, that, 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 that Denny might have shown a little bit more restraint. But it's a black label book. It's it's 2020. This is this is fine. This is especially with the subject matter involved. It it should be it should be coarse and it should be um it should be hard to take, uh, especially with a character like the question. And when you have um it's it, this is kind of it, part of me is bummed that it there was a four issue miniseries. Uh but also it's I wish it came out earlier because now that um we're hoping uh we're gonna try to get back on the right track in twenty twenty one, uh that that's that a character like the question in this miniseries, um doesn't we don't necessarily need to be reminded i mean we're reminded of it all the time now and for the past four years um the uprising and the swelling of of um of the outright just blatant racism this is this is a book this this story um represents this era and uh, it's um the things like i said that that vic say that that the questions say um are definitely words that need to be heard or read. And most of us, especially the four of us here tonight, most of us know that, you know, this is the way one should live their life. You know, like don't, don't be a bully and, and, you know, treat people with respect and don't be fucking racist. And, and, um, again, he kind of meets these head on, but it was also, this story was not really, what I was expecting. Um, Cause there's a little bit of a, uh, of a supernatural or mystical element. And, and that's, and that's fine. And that's not that, you know, there's, yeah. if, if there's drugs involved, you're definitely going to see things on a different plane, but the, um, it, it just, it, there were, there were definitely two battles going on in, in this book. And, and as he goes through, as you'll see, Zach, as you, as you read it, um, the books tend to take place in, in different eras, which is cool and is all heading towards the logical conclusion. But uh, Jeff Lemire, Dennis Cowan and, and Bill Sienkiewicz did, did some phenomenal work here. There is uh, they all three write a, um, a short tribute to, uh, to Denny at the end of the fourth issue. But no, that, if, um, if you didn't get this when it was coming out, if you're waiting for a collection order, I hope you did order the collection. Um, it's, it was, I, I, I like to say it was a great story, but when I think of a great story, I try to think of things that, uh, might be a tad more uplifting and, and 
slightly more positive, but it, this was still a well told. This was a great story. It was it was well told. Um, it was it was ugly, and um, and and parts of it were were extremely truthful. But it's um, the payoff was definitely worth it. If if you thought maybe you know seeing him in Hub City uh, during the Gold Rush era or um, or being a, a private dick was a long way to get to the point. I think it was, it was well worth it. The fourth issue is, um, it, it, I think it was a great payoff, but yeah, in your travels, the question, the deaths of Vic Sage. Well, now I have to finish it. Yes, you do. All right. Then I'll report back to you. Thank you very much. I will put it on the slack. Nice. Yeah. Well, what do you have? Uh, what do you want? So yeah, I guess I can. I guess this is the opportunity to uh, to pimp my own thing. Yeah. Um, so you know, I I always feel you know nervous isn't the right word, but uh, you know I'm I'm very proud of the work I do, and uh, it's not that I don't think that people want to hear about it, but I'm always just like you know there's there's always something in me that like wants to like not just talk about my own stuff all the time because I just don't want to. I don't know. I, I, I'm always more interested in what other people have to say about things. Um, but because you guys are being so nice to me um, uh, throughout this whole thing, uh, and I feel comfortable with you guys, I can tell, I can tell you anything, as you definitely witnessed uh, <laughs> in any number of contexts. So, uh, so I have spent the better part of a lifetime reading and thinking about uh, Steve Ditko and Ditko's comics and the ideas in his comics, and um, because of my my work and my my place here at at Michigan State, I had the opportunity to really sit down and like think through these ideas and publish some of them and uh, and those ideas as they sort of you know came together and fell apart and came back together again, eventually became a book called Mysterious Travelers, uh, Steve Ditko and the Search for a New Liberal Identity. And it's available, you know, as Vince uh, mentioned from the University Press of Mississippi, which is uh, one of the leading presses in comic studies, which is, for the kids at home who don't know, is a real and viable and um, growing field in, in academia, in the humanities. So, and there's a lot of really interesting work coming out of the field right now. So the idea the, the idea with the book, my pitch is, my Ron Popeil sort of pitch of this, is that when you read this, I don't want you to read this and, and walk away and not have something to say about it. I want it to spark a conversation because I think Ditko is someone who merits and necessitates a conversation about his work and a conversation that is separate from um, what we've been told about Ditko. Um, I, I mean, really, I just, I want you to not ever look at Steve Ditko the same way again. Uh, and you don't have to like what my arguments are. You don't have to agree with them, but I just want you to dig in and really just work your way through the muck and the mire and figure out what's happening here. Because I think uh, in the book, what I'm trying to figure out and sort of tease out and explore is what Ditko's philosophy really is. Cause I don't think it's objectivism. Um, he likes Ayn Rand, uh, who's uh, an endlessly interesting and problematic figure um, in American thought and letters, I guess. But I don't think Ditko is it, – it doesn't make sense to sort of pigeonhole Ditko in that mold. He clearly likes her, um, 
but he's also really passionate about trying to get across to people that he is his own person and his philosophy is his own. And he thinks that that should be true for everyone, that they should have their own philosophy and that they should live it and they should live it fearlessly, um, which is something that many of his characters did and something that it would seem that he at least attempted to do. Um, and, and the book sort of digs in with what that philosophy might be based on his essays, based on his comics, uh, and based on um, sort of the context in which those essays and comics and ideas exist in, not based on sort of rumor, not based on anything other than what Ditko had to say in his art and in his uh, sort of concentra- more concentrated thoughts. And out of that comes this notion that Ditko's ideas sort of fit within the fabric of American political thought in the 20th century. And that fabric is, you know, being is changing. It is rapidly changing. And as sort of particularly in the post-World War II era, people are really uh, trying to figure out what to do about capitalism and and, uh, liberals are trying to sort of recuperate capitalism into what we now call neoliberalism. And as neoliberalism is coming to the fore, there's all of this other stuff that's sort of lingering in the background that's sort of left over from uh, from the post-World War I period and the fears and the anxieties that people had about God and religion and all of these things are, are right back sort of still bubbling underneath the surface because a nuclear holocaust, you know, was enacted on, on, on a country. So so the, those fears are there as well. So ultimately what I think happens is that this there's this within this sort of network of ideas, the the old New Age thought mystics uh, merge with the neoliberal capitalists or rather the neoliberal capitalists sort of subsume the new age thought movement and bring it into this new sort of set of ideas, which I call mystic liberalism, which is this combination of these things. So if you think of someone like Norman Vincent Peale with the power of positive thinking or Dale Carnegie and how to win friends and influence people, these sort of cornerstone books of the, of uh, the American sort of corporate elite, corporate capitalism, these things that like, if you just think hard enough, if you just wish hard enough, good things will happen to you. But those good things are defined by, you know, white collar job status. So, so that's a really sort of strange thing that happens. And Ditko's work in a weird way reflects a lot of those changes. That's not to say that he agrees with them all or that he would have identified himself uh, with all of these things, but he certainly is participating in this discourse where these ideas sort of start to come together. And, and quite frankly, Ayn Rand is very much implicated in all of that. Nathaniel Brandon, her one-time lover and uh, co-founder of the Ayn Rand Institute or uh, of um, of objectivism, I mean, Brandon really helped shape a lot of those ideas. Brandon is really interested in in new in the power of new thought and. Um, the notion that uh, like attracts like, I mean, and all of these things that are clearly from the, the new thought sort of uh, and self-help handbook. Uh, Brandon went on to write a lot of books about that, that very thing. So, so that's really what the book is about. It's, it's asking us to take a comic creator and take his work and take it at its word in good faith and rethink uh, how we approach it. And um, I guess the last thing I'll say about this in my, in my pitch here for folks to, to check it out is to say that, you know, it's very common and popular amongst sort of the nerdiest and geekiest and most dedicated among us to to think that uh, comics can and should be 
elevated to some sort of level of discussion and sort of cultural value that we uh, they either have not achieved or we imagine they haven't achieved. And in some ways, those conversations can be really misguided and you know reflective of just like frustrated fanboys who just want to be seen. Um, but in other ways, there's some real truth to that because comics are the are one of the most in, significant mediums in reaching mass audiences. They they say important things, they do important things, they say things to and about us that mean something. And and, and uh, I think that Vince's, you know, Vince talking about Lee Falk and Mandrake is a clear you know, uh, a clear piece of evidence for that, right? It's saying something about a moment and it's ugly in that moment, but it's saying something about the moment. Uh, I think it's, if we're going to, if we want comics to be seen and understood as these sort of works of art that they, that we all know that they are, uh, it's important that we put them to the test, that we stack them up against sort of the, um, the, uh, we stack them up against the mountain of ideas in political thought and philosophy and critical theory and, and make comics sort of go through the paces on them. Um, so that's one of the things I'm trying to do is to let people know that if we want to understand complicated ideas, maybe a good way into that is to find out what people really read and what people really did with that information and what the people who produced that information really wanted out of it. So um, so I, that's, that's what I want for for folks to get out of the book. I hope that they read it. I hope that it compels conversation, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. And um, there you have it. There's there's the pitch. So please, please check it out, kids. Well, it's a very worthwhile pursuit. You, you damn pinhead, you. I know. I can't wait it's to me. get it. It's me and Zippy. I'm hoping that you'll uh, do a little quote on the inside cover. Like Claremont. <laughs> of my own book? <laughs> yes. Whatever. No, one of Claremont's quotes. Oh, 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 one of Claremont's quotes. No, I, I'm searching for maybe Mr. A, something Mr. A has said. Oh. Well, yeah. There's plenty. He says a lot. <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> I don't, um, can't shut him up. No, yeah. I don't even think he's real. So, I mean, there's that. <laughs> oh, he's real. Oh, he's real, real. What'd you read, Mario? Um, you know, I was going to talk about. I was going to have for in my travels be. I uh, last week I read. Um, Vox Brown's newest graphic novel called Child Star. Um, did any of you guys read that? Probably not. No, no. no? I read a little bit of it because he was posting pages on his Patreon page for a long okay. time. Okay, all right. So I was going to talk about that, and it's it's an okay thing. It it's good. It's it's pretty much just a, a fictional, um, a fictional documentary style biography of a child star who's not unlike um, Arnold from Different Strokes. Right? It's a it's a kid who has some kind of uh, some kind of congenital, you know, issue that he doesn't visually, you know, physically age in a way like others, like, you know, like what are the, like, okay. So when you were a kid, were you a, a different strokes fan or were you an Emmanuel fan? What was that Emmanuel show called? Webster. Webster. Were yeah. you a Arnold or were you a Webster? David, 
I preferred different strokes. I did right. watch Webster, but I preferred different strokes. Uh-huh. Uh, Zach? I was absolutely a Webster kid. Webster. Okay. And Vince d- doesn't give a fuck, right? Yeah. Yeah. I watched uh, different strokes for Dana Plato. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yes. Okay. So this is essentially a, a, a story about a white version of that, of that character um, and the issues that they face throughout their life. It's told in a series of interviews and clips of this show that the, the kid was on. The show was called, I think, uh, Everyone's Friend, and he played this little kid named Keaton. And, you know, it, it was it's crazy. And it has, like, you know, it goes through, like, they have all the very special episodes, like, you know, when, um, when Arnold with the pedophile in the bicycle shop uh, or things like that. And it's, you know, it's based upon, you know, it talks about how Reagan loved the show that th- this little kid was on. And Reagan wrote to them and said, could you cover these topics? And they were like drugs and they were, um, you know, child abduction and things like that. And, um, but it's pretty much just a, 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 a biographical documentary style look at this kid and it's his life without ever hearing from the kid except for in clips of that that he was on so but you have interviews with his ex-wife you have interviews with the writer of the show you have interviews with the director or co-stars, the girl that played his sister, you know, like the Dana Plato kind of character. You, you have interviews with all these people, but you never have an interview with the character whose, whose real name in the, in the, in the book is Owen Eugene. And it's interesting because you get this perception of this person without ever hearing from that person. I mean, they show you clips from the show. They show you clips from him on talk shows. You know, when he's promoting it, they show clips from these, you know, Saturday afternoon movies that he did because he was so popular. And it's this, it's, it's this juxtaposition of seeing his perfect little Hollywood life on the screen juxtaposed with what everybody's saying about him. Um, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting take you know I, I like Box Brown um, I've liked Box Brown for a long time um, I met him at some weird little Pittsburgh indie comic con ten plus years ago when he was just kind of kicking off retrofit when he was doing that like Philadelphia uh, stuff uh, with a bunch of different uh, writers and artists and you know I fall I I, I I can't think of a book that he's done that I don't have, you know, uh, from from the retrofit stuff to, you know, Andre the Giant, which was huge, or his book about Tetris or his book about Andy Kaufman or the most recent one about weed. Um, I like his I like his storytelling. I like his cartooning. Um, I really enjoyed this, especially as someone who grew up, I think, you know, because it takes place. The, the the character is based on, you know, a char- a person that lived in the '80s, right? When the, uh, like you know '80s TV show. So as someone who grew up watching that stuff, it really kind of hits me in a way um, that I enjoyed. Um, and I think that uh, if you if you grew up watching, uh, you know, different strokes or, or Webster or 
Um, even, you know, even up to like uh, Macaulay Culkin had or some Macaulay Culkin in here. I feel like, um, you know, just this young kid who was taken advantage of probably. And, um, and, you know, seeing his life through the eyes of other people, it's, it's a, it's a good, you know, you, you could easily see this being a, 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 a parody autobiog- autobiographical docu style TV show. Um, about this guy that you never see except for in the show or on an interview or whatever. Um, but, uh, it was good. It's called child star. It's box Brown. It's put out by, uh, first second. Um, and I enjoyed it, but what I want to do, I also had a question. I have a question. Vince is going to love this question. Jesus. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So tomorrow is the American holiday of Thanksgiving. Mm. Um, and uh, and Thanksgiving is most most closely associated now. You know, traditionally, you know, you talk about the pilgrims and all that those lies that we tell kids. Um, but uh, but but I think that now we've finally moved on to the true meaning of American Thanksgiving. What American Thanksgiving should be uh, a representation of what America really is, and that's just gluttony. Right. <laughs> and eating. And, and that's really where we should really take Thanksgiving is just like forget about the pilgrim stuff. Forget about your fake story about the, you know, the Native Americans bringing the feast. Forget about all that stuff. Let's just focus on the fact that it's just a day when people get together and they eat. And typically someone watches football. Someone probably drinks too much and they argue about politics. So in, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, what I want to ask each and every one of you is for for tomorrow, for Thanksgiving, yeah. wherever you're having it, hopefully you're having it at home so that you're not going to some super spreader event. But wherever you're having Thanksgiving tomorrow, what are you looking forward to eating the most? Oh, that's easy. What is it? Sweet potatoes. Okay, tell me about these sweet potatoes. Tell me about your sweet potatoes. Oh, they're just brown sugar Candied sweet potatoes. It's do they have marshmallows on them? What? No. Do they, they don't put have... marshmallow? Okay. And who's making this food? Is your is your wife making this food? Probably my mother in law. Okay, your mother in law's making this. Okay, yeah. good. Sweet it's potatoes. Just sweet potatoes. Just regular sweet candy. potatoes. Brown sugar. Brown sugar. Lots of lots of it, and just a sweet potato. That's They're it. like sliced in like in like rings or whatever. Yeah, right? kinda. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. That's it. All right, David. Uh, same question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a question for all of you. Okay. Um, I am I am looking forward to um, to the lasagna. I, yes. I am. Um, tomorrow morning I'm probably going to try to make my wife um, breakfast dumplings or, or wontons since I made the wonton wrappers today uh so i'm i'm curious how that's going to turn out i'm up for the challenge uh but as far as so so i'm looking forward to that but as far as the thanksgiving meal um yeah it'll it'll be after i roll out the sheets of pasta to uh to make the lasagna and get the the beef mixture together and whatnot when did lasagna crawl its way into thanksgiving how do you my entire life yeah how my mom always made lasagna on Thanksgiving. 
Makes no but sense. Not, not not as the main meal, though. No, 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 no. It's just a right. side. Exactly. A side of a gigantic piece of pasta for, 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 and meat and cheese as a side. As a side uh, okay. to, <laughs> to this fucking honking turkey. Like we're not we're not having turkey tomorrow, Vince. We're it's it's just the two of us. I I didn't want I, I didn't want some butterball taking up space in the freezer that because I can only have so many days of bird day after day. Whereas I mean lasagna I can eat twenty four seven, but the 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 turkey I, I we don't need all of that that food in the house. So uh we're we're probably gonna have some poultry sometime before the weekend's up. But um but yeah not not tomorrow. Yeah. Good. Zacharias uh the turkey. The uh, turkey Jesus who are you people? I hey look, I grew up eating really dry, not great turkey. So well, isn't that a given for turkey? I I mean it can't, it doesn't have to be. Uh, and so you know, since we moved up here to Michigan and we don't we don't go back to Indiana for like Thanksgiving, we just stay home. So like the stay home stuff, this is really easy for us. Uh, so I started doing it myself and. I am very proud of the way that I cook my turkey. It's it is as moist as it's going to get. I'm going to brine the fuck out of it. I'm getting ready to put it in the brine as soon as we hang up, and it's going to be delicious. And I nice. can't wait to put it in my maw. I, I'm just not a fan of chicken and or turkey, uh, and uh, turkey far less than chicken. At least you could do things with chicken in inventive ways. Turkey's like there's really only one or two things you can do with turkey, right? I just don't look forward to the to the bird at all. It's everything that comes with the bird, right? Yeah. Whatever, whatever you want to yeah. call it, yeah. that yeah. stuffing, dressing, I don't give a shit what you call it, but that's fun. Um, I just, turkey's bland to me. See, I used to, I used to be that way and then until I started doing it myself. So, like, the only thing I used to like about turkey when I was a kid was the skin. Yeah, right? Yeah. I would just want a plate of skin... And then the sides. See, if, if if we were doing a turkey tomorrow, then my answer probably would have been a stovetop. I love that shit. I do love some stovetop. There mm-hmm. you go. Thank you for indulging me. Oh, I'm... Well, you didn't go. Oh, yes. mine's the same answer as David. Mine's the lasagna. <laughs> oh, okay. That is some fucked up shit. Just, some lasagna. There you go. No wait. Oh I got it all. I got. I got everything ready to make the lasagna for tomorrow. I'm excited. I got to make. The, I'm going to make the dough in the morning. But yeah, I'll. Um, I'll, I'll take the meat out of the freezer tonight. But yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, there you go. It, it, so now you know what our favorite Thanksgiving things are. Thanks to <laughs> to, to Mario. Right. Good for him. Uh, remember, because you don't have a whole lot of time. The cutoff is December 4th. If you want to pick up the absolute cream of the X-Men crop, the stories that were later butchered for the movie versions, uh, if you want to see where it all started and, and just how high that um, the highs can get for X-Men, check out the Marvel-made Paragon Collection Chris Claremont Premier Bundle. And there's one way to do it. If you want it, go to getmarvelmade.com. That's getmarvelmade, one word, dot com, forward slash EOC. You can order it November f- yeah, November 4th. 
Or Sorry. Double Double. We're past November 4th. Yeah, it's December 4th. Get your 4th. order in before December 4th. You silly bastards. Uh, and get it, because it's 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 going to be a couple hundred pages of all-time X-Men goodness, very strictly limited, signed by Chris Claremont, quoted, slipcase, stop. It's chubby-inducing. Just go get it. Um, if you want to check out some EOC presence in other areas, go to the Twitter, the Reddit, Instagram, and Facebook we have a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. The Slack family is vibrant and robust, kind of like Mario's lasagna. And, uh, and you know, in the meantime, uh, make sure you go to DCPS and order Mysterious Travelers. Steve get Ditko and the search for a new liberal identity free book plate. Uh, give Mario a symbolic hug for being here. And just say goodnight. I'm going to make this one easy because it's like a holiday and shit. Is that okay if I make it easy? You don't mind if I make it easy. If you want to. Do you? Zach, should I make it easy for him? <laughs> yes. Uh, I never listen to you. Oh, okay. Make it as hard as possible. Duh, David. <laughs> Do I stutter? Am I a clown? Do I amuse you? I don't think so. Good night. Yeah, here's where he pretends that he wasn't looking. Well, you were at talking God. about all, you know, you can make it easy for me. And yeah, shit. well, you don't have to, you know, reiterate what I said oh. because we can push you in different directions. So, David, does that lasagna a meat sauce lasagna? It's a meat yes. sauce, right? It better be. Who wants marinara on lasagna? I don't know. Vegetarians? <laughs> Who are these people? Number, okay, here's the question. David. All right. Now, do you, do you put uh, beef? Now, obviously, you put beef in your lasagna? Yes, that would be yeah. meat. Do you yeah. also put sausage? I do not, no. Mm. I'm not this time. I could, but no. It, this is it's it's going to just be uh, ground beef um, cooked in the sauce, and then um, and then I'll start doing the layers with the yeah. With the I'm, I love you so much. Yeah, that, man, you, you got to use that ricotta. Don't don't don't. Uh, see, I don't know what that word white, is that you just said. White puts of onions that uses like cottage cheese. Ricotta. <laughs> Who? You know what? I'm going to take your Italian card away from you. Ricotta. <laughs> Christ! What you want me it's, to say? Regolt? Like Regolta. That's what it is. That's how you Listen, say the it. Reason you know what the reason those those words exist for? Regolt, gab, gabagool. It's because they existed from a, the, the 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 regional languages of Italy before there was a national Italian language. So it's authentic. It no no it's regional. It's not. It's not. It's nothing. It's Re- nothing wait a minute. Special. Wait. Regional's not authentic. No, regional was authentic to that region, but I guarantee that nobody in Sicily said Regult. <laughs> Wait, what were you going to say, Miss, before, after we said what the ingredients? Oh, you said sauce. You didn't say gravy. Oh, God. These, no, these assholes. because no, he's not a Philistine. Well, right? no, but some, I, I know people that tomato yeah, sauce, true. they call it gravy. Yeah. And right. I want, I want to, I want to backhand them because that's they, they not just, what it is. We've they, descended into bullshit. I'm sorry. Um, go enjoy yourself for Thanksgiving. But is it dressing or stuffing? 
It depends on where it's cooked, right? Yeah, I agree with that answer. Stuffing comes out of the bird. Dressing comes off the stove. Mm-hmm. Stuffing that, has cross-contamination. Well, that's what I've heard. I don't really clean. care what you call it as long as you give some to me. But uh, where was I going? Oh, yes. Have a, a wonderful Thanksgiving. Make sure you do it with your family. Stay safe. Wear a mask if you're going out. Just just take care of yourself. And uh, we'll be back here uh, soon. Soon. Big hugs to Jonathan Wilbur, too. He's, he's, he's our buddy on the Slack. Yes. Big hugs. Just be thankful for the shit you got. Don't worry about the stuff you don't have. And we mm-hmm. love you. Yeah. Thank you, Zach. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Mario. Uh, doors thank always you. open. You want to come back, and, and, and whenever you just do it, and uh, we will we will return very shortly. Maybe Jason will be back. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Crazy times. Yeah, we'll have to pull out the Rolodex, and we'll, I don't know who we can. That's it for that one. <laughs>